Welcome to the Empirical Cycling Podcast. I'm your host, Coley Moore. We are not joined, unfortunately, today by Kyle, but we have a new host, uh, our co-host, uh, briefly for a stand-in. We're going to see how this goes. So thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast, especially if you're new here. Please consider subscribing to the podcast, especially if you like what you're hearing. But if you want to support the podcast, you can always let people know that you like it with a nice podcast rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And especially sharing the podcast goes a long way. Thank you all for all of that. We appreciate seeing uh, the recommendations for the podcast on forums and uh, just while we're riding around and at events. So thanks everybody for all of that. And if you want to support the show with a couple bucks, uh, please consider a donation at empiricalcycling.com slash donate because we are ad free. And I was actually considering, uh, I was talking with Kyle the other day, I was thinking that we should do an episode about all the advertisers I have turned down on the podcast and why. <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's potential in the future. Anyway, but if you really want to support the podcast, please consider becoming an empirical cycling client. We are always taking on athletes for coaching and we do consultations as well. We can look at your season. We can plan your next season. Uh, we can look at your files. We can just talk biochemistry or whatever you want. Um, so uh, our time is your time. Um, so yeah, uh, empiricalcycling at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out for that. And of course, we have negotiable rates for professionals and students because we know that you all don't really make that much money uh, pretty much until you get to being Tade Pagachar. So if you would like to ask some questions on the Instagram, you can do so at empiricalcycling on Instagram, of course. And uh, that's where I have weekend AMAs up in Instagram stories. And uh, at the end of this podcast today, that's where I ask for listener questions on our podcast. So if you'd like to ask a question, for a future podcast, please go give me a follow there. And so let's get down to business. So Kyle is basically working 12 hour days uh, out in the desert for NASA and it's over a holiday weekend, no less. So um, rest in peace, Kyle. We uh, <laughs> we wish you well. We'll be glad when you are revived when you get back, uh, which will be in a couple weeks. So um, I also have a problem with podcasts sometimes where I do all the research and everything's fresh in my head and I want to get it recorded and done and out. And if I wait a little while, I forget everything. And then I have to go back and redo all the reading and read, read, read all the scripts. And then I usually, then it's basically never done and it never comes out. So I've had issues like that in the past. So, uh, so who we have today is Marinus Peterson, who has been on the podcast before he is a, um, he has studied exercise physiology at the university of Luff, university of Loughborough, And he is a coach himself. He is a very fast cyclist also, uh, uh, former Welsh national champion, and he's very fast. And he is also um, uh, a client of one of my personal clients. So we have a nice little <laughs> circle going on. Uh, so, um, and so Marinus is awesome. And um, yeah, he's, he's one of the few people who's got the the background and the wherewithal to kind of keep up with, uh, with this podcast. Um, Kyle, of course, being, uh, you know, the number one, and uh, we were going to try out Rory today because everybody liked him last time and I knew he would be able to handle this, but uh, Rory is also unfortunately indisposed for an indefinite amount of time. So, um, and so I was going to do the solo and, um, and I, I may still yet, but <laughs> we've got Marinus here <laughs> and we're going to see how this goes. So, um, so Marinus, thanks for joining us on short notice. And also, um, I guess it's time to get, get down to business. So today we are talking about AMPK. So generally speaking as background information, before we really dig into this, cause you've seen the script, you know, what's coming, um, or well, the script, the outline, the notes, um, what have you generally heard of? What do you usually think of? Or what do you think people think of AMPK? Because a lot of the time I've been on forums and somebody will say, uh, I, I've heard some really silly stuff. So we're going to get into that at the end of the episode where we talk about how not to big brain the AMPK stuff. 
Um, so Marinus, what, what do you think, uh, what do you think's out there right now for AMPK and aerobic adaptation? Uh, uh for, for, for what I've seen so far, it just looks like m- more MPK is, is better. Like people just like, if, if, if a study finds or, you know, a new type of training finds that it gives you more AMPK, AMPK, that seems to be like, oh, that's, therefore it's great. Um, and I just sometimes think people aren't like joining the dots or going going beyond that. And um, yeah, so it's it's like people are looking for AMPK signaling before they're looking for performance um, without kind of even knowing what it is or 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 thinking about like where what is the role of it in you know in in metabolism and in consequent. Um, changes in performance so right right because people think that oh ampk is uh is directly uh it's kind of directly correlated to exercise intensity in a lot of ways and Mm. so if you want ampk activation right you've got to go really hard and if you want more ampk activation you've got to go really hard all the time and what happens when you go really hard all the time (laughs) uh not not very pleasant things in my experience. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. This it leads right to the O word, which is not orgasm in this case. It is overtraining, the not fun one, not not fun O word. Um, yeah. So, so, um, and I actually remember uh, having a discussion on a forum uh, quite a few months ago. At this point, uh, that prompted me to start thinking about this side of things, doing a, a podcast on this. Um, it's that, um, it was, you know, kind of just what I was saying before was like, if you want more then you've got to ride hard all the time and you've got to always empty the tank and stuff like that. But what we're going to see is some pretty concrete evidence that that is not a good strategy for this. Um, so, uh, so actually before, uh, I started doing the research on this and, uh, you know, kind of like, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's on my own AMPK knowledge, um, I wanted to title this episode. Uh, something about how like, you know, the importance of AMPK is over-exaggerated or something like that. Um, and I actually don't think it is in a lot of ways. Cause I think in, at least in the scientific literature, people who do the research on the actual mechanisms of aerobic adaptation know exactly how important or unimportant AMPK is and the circumstances in which it is and is not activated and all the other signals that are also important, like the last episode on calcium, um, and so that was really just a sim- some simple takeaways. Just ride your goddamn bike. It's, it's not so hard <laughs> to get some calcium adaptations. But um, but when we start talking about AMPK, there's like there's duration, there's intensity, there's glycogen stuff, there's training load. Like there's a bunch of different aspects of this. So this episode is going to be notably more complex. So hopefully it will actually give uh, the listeners some more tangible information to to go and you know enact in their training rather than you know, the basic stuff yeah. that we already know. Yeah. Works. And so as we get closer to the end of, uh, at the, at, to the end of our notes here, what we're going to start doing is we're going to start focusing more on our coaching experience and our training experience on this kinds of stuff and how, uh, and how the kind of stuff that we're going to look at in these studies is, uh, is going to influence what we should and should not do on the bike. And spoiler alert, it really just enforces the basics like <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so, and then we're also going to talk about the ways not to big brain this thing to death. So anyway, what is EMPK? Why does it matter? I know a lot of people, um, you know, I know there's like eight people I probably argue with 
uh, at events and on forums and, and emails and stuff like that, where we argue about the minutiae of this stuff. But for most people, they're probably going, what the fuck is AMPK? So AMPK is a protein called AMP activated protein kinase. And a kinase is just something that adds phosphate to things, other proteins. And it's, it's pretty simple. Um, so, and that is actually a common way to modulate the activity or rate of, uh, rate of catalytic, catalytic activity of other proteins and enzymes or whatever it is. Um, and so it can also reduce or stop other proteins from doing stuff or it can turn them on. So just being phosphorylated doesn't necessarily mean on or off. It just means it changes something. So AMPK is a protein that acts as a cellular energy sensor. And we've probably discussed it a little bit before on the podcast when talking about things like glycolysis and adaptation. I'm pretty sure we did in Wasdoc 40. That'll come up again in a little bit. But the big question is, how does AMPK sense energy? So when things in the cells are pretty chill, when you're like laying on the couch and your muscles are inactive, you've got a lot of AMP in your muscles. Um, so your quads are very, very happy. Lots of AMP. Everybody's everybody's chill. And AMP or ATP binds to AMPK and says, shh, everything's okay now. Shh, they're there. It's all right. But when we get on the bike and we start riding, when activity levels start to go up, ATP starts to get used and becomes ADP and AMP. Those phosphates start to go away from ATP. Increasing levels of AMP bind to AMPK and block the ATP signal. Um, and this means AMPK starts to go, whoa, uh, our cell is running out of energy and I need to do something about it. So does this all make sense so far, Marinus? Yeah, so this is like you're sitting on the couch, everything's chill, everything's great. Um, and to get this AMPK signaling, you do actually have to put in some amount of effort I'm gathering here. Yes. <laughs> um, and and at, this, at this point when AMPK is, is being uh, activated, you, you've probably done some kind of significant work and, and, and you've noticed and, and you'll, that, you would have, that you'll know about. Um, so, yeah, uh, it changes, a cellular changes in, in that ATP um, and AMP balances is kind of uh, one of one of the markers for, for fatigue. You could yeah, it's, a, it's actually one of one of the big markers. Uh, and, yeah, uh, and basically what this is, is like energy stress of the cell. Because mm. like when things are chill, you've got like, and we've talked about this on the podcast so many times at this point, but we'll review really quick anyway. So when ATP and like ATP gets its ability to do work by how far it is kept away from equilibrium with becoming ADP uh, by getting that one phosphate removed. That is the big major driver of potential to do work, chemical work for ATP. And so a good cellular energy state means a lot of ATP, basically no ADP, ADP levels in the cell at all points until very, very extreme situations are kept basically almost at zero. They're like micromolar levels. Um, and AMP is usually uh, um, what, what ADP becomes to, well, anyway, we don't have to get into it that into that level of detail but so i think you'll often read in studies that um well that what well, some some people uh people in the past have thought that uh lactate you know was was the cause of fatigue when actually it's right. it's this cellular energy balance and and lactate is actually kind of 
a, a red herring, if you like, in, in the equation. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas the, this this yeah, uh, cellular um, energy balance is actually energy yeah. state is actually what's I, yeah. I would what's, also I would almost on. say the lactate is like smoke, but it's not even smoke yeah. because the smoke is a direct consequence of the fire. And it, yeah. you know, in, in a way, we could consider that, but also in a way, it's completely unrelated because um, because of well, if you're a regular podcast listener and you remember all of the recent stuff we've done on electron transport chain and energy balance, Wattsock 40, especially, uh, this is uh, something that you should be familiar with. So whereas, so, whereas I guess an analogy you could draw there is like the energy state of the cell is, is how hot is the fire and lactate is like uh, the smoke. So if you chuck a load of wood on the fire, it's not gonna, or, you know, a load of grass, you might be able to make loads of smoke, but it doesn't uh, yeah. mean. Yeah. What grass? Energy, that would be a good one. Yeah. Like yeah. the energy doesn't mean the energy state is, you know, optimized uh, or, you know, is, is, is right. whatever you're trying to achieve. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah they're, they're not, they're not directly proportional. Yeah. And um, what we're going to see in a little bit is actually that, um, that in some ways at some intensities, even if we are making more lactate, we are actually not getting more MPK signaling, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Cause I, I'm really excited to get to this stuff. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you yeah, all know me, me at this point. Um, okay. So, so why, um, why does it make sense for the cell to monitor energy state? Right. Um, so, uh, so because it doesn't want to be in the right. Cause if, if you lose the energy state, state, you, the cell dies, you die. Yeah. Yeah. And so, oh. so we don't want to like do one sprint and like have all of our like leg muscles wither and have to be rebuilt. That would a, be horrible. A, a, apoptosis is the name for a, a, apoptosis actually there's debate uh, as to whether the second p gets pronounced uh like because technically it's apo is the okay. uh, is the prefix and then ptosis is the uh the greek word so it, it could be apo apoptosis apoptosis is how apoptosis folks say, say so yeah. to prevent apoptosis you've got to maintain a good cellular energy state one cell must activate ampk yeah. And this is what we're talking about here is like in the muscle, like there's a lot of stuff with AMPK and other things, you know, involved elsewhere in the body. But right now, because this is a, you know, cycling training podcast, this is where we want to focus. So, um, so when, um, so the, so AMPK reacts to the cells energy state and the cells dropping energy state. And when the energy state is dropping, you're losing ATP, but you're mostly gaining a MP especially at moderate intensities, very, very high intensities in extreme situations, we get ADP too. So, um, so what happens is the cell's energy state dropping means it has to be maintained. And AMPK mm -hmm. is one of the main cellular switches, quote unquote switches, that starts to change the cell's focus from rest and digest. We're going to store energy. We're going to build intramuscular electroglycerides. We're going to build glycogen. And it starts to switch it to, we need to start consuming these things to maintain the cell's longevity, like under workload. So, so that's a huge When you're moving, AMPK. that's going to have quite different implications from- From rest, absolutely. From rest, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and a lot of, uh, a lot of studies, like, um, like I, th I think in one of the, uh, one of the studies on fat burning and transport, one of the things that we looked at is how, um, so one of the targets of AMPK is actually acetyl-CoA carboxylase, which is one of the things that goes, uh, it, that is a, um, one of the first steps into a, uh, an energy storage pathway. 
And as AMPK gets, gets activated, uh, a, uh, ACC, acetyl-CoA carboxylase, actually gets phosphorylated and it reduces its activity as AMPK's activity starts to go up. Um, and so that is one of the ways that a lot of studies actually look for AMPK activation is by looking at some of the targets of AMPK and seeing how, how, uh, how phosphorylated do these get as in how reduced are their activities? Uh, because it's showing the cells switching the state from rest and digest to fight or flight, um, in a manner of speaking. So, so that's the big role of AMPK. It's an energy sensor that shifts things in the cell to maintain the energy state. So the cell doesn't die, but here's why we care for adaptation. Oh, excuse me. Um, evolution saw fit to also make AMPK, um, simultaneously take this function of sensing the cell's energy state, but it also, AMPK also helps the cell respond to this energetic stress by making aerobic adaptations to help cool. reduce future energetic stress in the cell. And this is why it's your magic bullet for all the cycling gains you could ever dream of. <laughs> well, this is why some people think it's the magic bullet because it's at like MPK was one of the earliest things known about like exercise, like MPK, yada, yada, question marks, adaptation. Um, you know, like one of the earliest things known was like repeated exercise bouts yields mitochondrial biogenesis. And MPK was one of the first and most well-studied things starting in the early aughts. Um, but at the same time, calcium was studied as well, calcium signaling for just like regular muscle contractions. So those were kind of co-studied together at the time. But um, but anyway, so they both have kind of like in the last episode, we talked about how one of the eventual uh, targets uh, through calcium, uh, you know, activates uh, uh, CAMK2 and all that stuff. And it eventually gets to our old friend PGC1-alpha. Um, and so AMPK turns out to do the exact same thing. It has the exact same target. And that's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that, uh, a lot of studies in like moderately, you know, kind of untrained individuals will show the exact same adaptations between sprint interval training and like moderate, you know, intensity exercise. Although I think as we'll get into the studies more, you'll, when we look at the actual, uh, participants in these studies might not be the most representative population for our, yeah. <laughs> relative to our audience. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the cool things that we're going to see is that training load has a big effect and like how well-trained you are. So, um, so what I want to do first though, is I want to look at I a think study. One, one thing oh, yeah, that sorry. might, uh, uh, help, uh, the listeners kind of get more context on AMPK is that we, we really are, we, it's, it's, uh, we're talking about peripheral adaptation so specific to to your cycling muscles like yeah. if you have a look at um all of these studies they're taking typically taking muscle biopsy samples from the the vastus lateralis which yeah, that's, is that's the quad on the outside of your leg that's the quad on the outside of your leg so my hypothesis would be that if you took uh muscle biopsies from the What's the big bicep muscle called? Your bi biceps fem femoris? Femor yeah, biceps femoris. Oh no, biceps femoris. It, no, that's the one on the leg. <laughs> oh, it, you, we don't know anything wrong, about actually. arm muscles. Well, what? What is? Uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, your bicep. Your bicep. Your bicep. Yeah, if you, if yeah, you took a bicep. sample out of that after two hours of 
three hours of steady state cycling, I, I don't think you'd you'd see any particular potent effect uh, uh, changes. Whereas whereas if you like took it uh, did the same with swimmers, you'd see the exact reverse that in their delts they'd that they might see AMPK activation. Whereas yeah, your lats especially see, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas they they wouldn't see much in the yeah, the so vastus it's a, lateralis, right? So it's so, a, so it's specific to the worked muscle group, and this is actually something that I mean, I, I know you listen to the podcast, and and we've talked about this on the podcast multiple times. But you're right; it's always good to to refresh on this kind of stuff for people who are just listening in for the first time, or may may not swim in this stuff constantly, like people like you and I do. <laughs> so um, sad people like us. <laughs> Sad nerds like us. Uh, this is where Kyle would always call me a nerd. Um, and uh, now, well, whilst, now we whilst he's us. spending two weeks in a, in a field, <laughs> I know, working stars. on <laughs> yeah, working on weather balloons um, yeah. or whatever kind of. No, they're actually balloons. Like, <laughs> show me a picture. Oh, well. it, you remember the uh, lead balloon episode of MythBusters? It kind of looks like that. Um, oh, wow. anyway, so oh. all right, so let's first take a look at a paper. Uh, where we can watch AMPK activation lead to mitochondrial biogenesis. So like one of our main and one of the earliest observed um, uh, training adaptations to endurance exercise, as noticed by um, by uh, John Halsey, I think. Um, and so now we're going to be able to see the energe- energetic stress lead directly to the action of adaptation. So our first paper today, we're going to do two. So the first one is called Chronic Activation of AMP Kinase Results in NRF1 Activation and Mitochondrial Biogenesis, which is, for for dramatic effect, we should always read these last. I don't know why we always start with this. Um, so we've got a link to the paper in the show notes, and I believe it's open contact, uh, open text, actually. So if you want to check this out, please feel free to read along. But uh, this paper is from 2001. This paper is not vegan friendly it's not they they sacrifice some rats but this is pretty typical um and actually you could tell what era a paper was from based on the how verb. badly they well based yeah. on well based on the verb that they use um that, uh, around um the animals uh that they use so um yeah so sorry sorry folks we are gonna um we, we are gonna lose some mice in the name of science for this um not to pass judgment one way or the other but it it happened so it would have been pretty brutal to put humans through this uh, protocol. Like, I, yeah, that's not going to pass an ethics review. Depleting is it? your yeah your muscle creatine and ATP concentration by forty to fifty percent in oh, a sh- sh- you're spoiling it. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> 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 okay. So yeah, 2001. So this is really early in the study of AMPK activation and its effects in uh, cellular exercise uh, or cellular effects in exercise. So the abstract's first sentence actually gives really good context for like what 2001 was like for the study of AMPK and aerobic adaptation. Um, quote, the underlying mechanism by which skeletal muscle adapts to exercise training or chronic energy deprivation is largely unknown, unquote. So they also discuss as a probable cause, uh, if you will, uh, for its involvement, how at the time, uh, AMPK activation by AMP, AMP-like chemicals led to then-known adaptations caused by exercise like GLUT4 expression, uh, which is the one that transports glucose into the muscle. Um, and which it also... Oh, sorry, go ahead. When, when, when you're trying to um, load carbohydrate, GLUT4 is, is that 
that key thing that you'll get from your pre-race ride to to help with the the glycogen synthesis. Yeah, because it moves from the rough endoplasmic reticulum to your actual um, muscle cell surface, um, and so that that so is part can... of. But the many things that happen when you do openers, for instance. Um, so it also um, uh, uh, I lost my. Pla- I lost my place on the page. Um, oh yeah. And also, um, they also knew that AMP like chemicals led to increased mitochondrial enzymes, like activity of, uh, of straight synthase or a cytochrome C were some very common things, uh, easy to measure, you know, for, for the standards of the day. Uh, super easy now, but anyway, so the experiment that we're going to look at is meant to elucidate more on what was known at the time that repeated bouts of endurance exercise may lead to, to relevant adaptations via AMPK, but they're looking for specific mechanisms because they know th- other things, um, which we'll get into, like were already more directly linked to expression of these enzymes um, and better endurance performance. So we're really trying to find like quote unquote missing links, if you will, the same way as like people are looking at like, you know, Australopithecus kind of skeletons as like missing links between humans and apes. Um, So what they did here is researchers fed beta guanidino propionic acid, or we're just going to call it beta GPA um, to rats with a control group not receiving it. And so beta GPA is a creatine analog. And what this does is it outcompetes the actual creatine in cells in spots where creatine would normally bind, but it doesn't do any of the useful things for a cell that the creatine actually would by being a spatial and temporal energy buffer as discussed in Watts Doc 38. So it basically creates uh, some really shitty situations in all of the rat cells, uh, but their researchers are only looking at muscles. So in the so muscles... Could, could we just uh, revise, Coley? Because I, rem- I remember that particular what's doc. Yeah. Um, w- what, it's, what it would be like to be one of these rats with no creatine. Oh, you, it would be lethargic. Like your vision would always be blurry. Um, like you, you'd have brain fog constantly. Uh, I can imagine <laughs> you'd be all very... You could be very hungry. Uh, if I recall correctly from reading the study, I think the, um, I think the rats that, um, that had the, um, that had the beta GPA were actually a little underweight by like 50 grams or on average or something like that. Cause For, what, and the rats are only like five, 500 grams. You, you think of, uh, with, with- Creatine as being something you only use for your really high intensity stuff, like you know your weightlifting, your sprints. But actually, it's it's required. It's re- it's required just to just to initiate any movement. So to get off the couch, you need some creatine to to, yeah. to get moving at all. Yeah, because like because yeah, in that episode, um, what we saw is that like uh, like creatine uh, and creatine phosphate have they have an easier time actually dispersing in a cell. And so mm. like a lot of the time, um, like ATP that gets made in the mitochondria actually becomes creatine and then becomes ATP out again later out further in the cell. So like, there's actually like a conveyor belt between like, you know, between the mitochondria, creatine phosphate and like actual ATP further out in the cell. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's the spatial energy buffer, but the, uh, the, but the, uh, temporal energy buffer is like when you stand up from the couch real quick, um, like one of the first things that happen is your creatine like depletes like a little bit depending on, you know, if you're like standing up from the couch or you're jumping up as, as fast as possible. Um, and so 
So yeah, so like that kind of stuff would take a big hit. So you would not be happy as a as a rat like <laughs> eating beta GPA like in your diet. Um, but the other rats, they, they had a fine time, and they they also unfortunately had to get biopsied as well. So um, so the yeah, so the rats that had the beta GPA, um, their fossil creatine stores were depleted by approximately eighty five percent. Yeah. And their ATP concentrations in their cells got decreased by 40 to 50%. And this is a so, massive hit. And we're also talking about that. That's a chronic state. So yeah, chronic that's, state. Like, that's like going around having always just done a six-hour ride or, or worse. <laughs> a six-hour ride with FTP. And like, I, I, yeah, I would say that's, it's... That's you morning, day, and night. Like well, it would feel like time. you've done a six-hour ride, but in terms of the cellular conditions, it would be like having done like a 1500 watt for 20 seconds sprint. Like that's the kind of cellular conditions we're talking about. Like immediately. I, I, I wish, I wish I knew what that felt like. <laughs> I, it's no fucking fun. <laughs> like if you watch any of the track cycling, um, uh, like for the Olympics, uh, or like world championships or anything like that, if you watch the sprinters, especially at the very, very end of the night, um, they are breathing so hard between efforts. They're just, <sighs> and it's it like <laughs> it. That's how much oxygen deficit you incur. Um, so yeah, these rats were probably not very happy. Um, but yeah, so that's so. This is how the researchers created a perpetual state of energy stress in these rat cells. So let's look at what happened when they looked at these rats on the other side. They looked at the quad muscles and the calf muscles of rats in a variety of ways. And we're going to talk about these in a sec. So uh, for the energetically stressed mice, for the beta GPA mice, they looked at a transcription factor. The mice have uh, four quads. Uh, Yeah. I mean, they've got four legs. Oh, well, I guess they mean. (laughs) That's one of those things like, which way does does the brontosaurus wear wear pants? Is it like. Yeah. <laughs> so like on all fours, it's on the back half. Uh, this would be just in the back half. Um, just the back. Yeah, because because the uh, the uh, the the forelimbs are their musculature is much more akin to what we would expect uh, for like humans and other quadrupeds. So uh, we're not that different from rats. Um, but yeah, it's the ones on the hind legs. The ones and on the hind um, legs. yeah, so what they did was they looked at a transcription factor called NRF one, and a transcription factor is uh, just something that binds to or helps things bind to DNA to actually turn genes into useful stuff. It's like part of the whole process of like turning your DNA into proteins and whatever that helps you do whatever better. Um, it's like the middleman. Yeah. It's kind of like a middleman. It's actually kind of like, it's kind of like something that puts in an order with the middleman. Um, and so it's like, it's like, you know, you might want to mail a letter like I mail a letter to you and you're the person who's going to like make my new arrow bars or something like that. And so like, Mm. like this would be like the letter getting to you being like, Hey, we need this thing. Um, so what they found was the, um, and so at the time NRF one nuclear respiratory factor one, uh, it was known to regulate some big key genes in mitochondrial biogenesis and cell growth. Because actually the two are not quite so inseparable. And this is one of the reasons that in like cancer study, you see a lot of the same energetic pathways um, being activated for cancer as we do and cell proliferation as we do for like exercise and um, all that kind of stuff. So the energetically stressed mice had almost 10 
times the amount of NRF1 as the control mice. You would hope they would be compensated in some way for the. This is one of the ways to compensate. Yeah. So this is one of the. Yeah. So, so like the cell cellular stress is like, this is what actually, so this is one of the reasons I love this paper because it was early on, but they knew that cellular stress, they weren't like, Oh, we're going to make the rats burn lactate or burn fat or whatever. Like they're like, no, Mm. no, this is cellular stress. Um, and so they made cellular stress and they're seeing what happens. So the, uh, the experimental mice did actually not have 10 times the mitochondria or mitochondrial enzymes or anything like that, as you might hope, they had about 120% of the cytochrome C as the control mice, um, which is involved in the electron transport chain. But pretty much across the board, uh, when they actually looked at the rat muscles for the experimental group, they had approximately double the mitochondrial density as the control mice. So when you take a uh, like a cross section of a rat of these rat muscles like the quads and the calves like like you're looking at tree rings uh you look at okay how many how many contractile whatever but like you can see the mitochondria plane as day and they well, they had approximately double That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So the last thing they looked at was they also found a doubling of something called ALA synthase. Doesn't matter, we're not going to get into it. Um not that I know exactly what ALA synthase does in terms of this, but I do know that it's a rate limiting enzyme for synthesizing heme groups and heme groups in a, in a mitochondrial, uh, um, kind of, um, uh, context are crucial for electron transport chain respiration and capacity. So, so when we get into in a lot of papers, you'll see people talking about, uh, mitochondrial function, um, and, from my understanding is is that what we're kind of talking about here with yeah mitochondrial um, function respiration and capacity right so we actually looked at in wasdog 41 i think we looked at a paper that looked at mitochondrial function and typically you isolate mitochondria um and you put it in a tiny little machine and you measure picograms of oxygen and you basically look at like what is the maximal respiration rate per gram or like you know whatever tiny portion of a gram of mitochondria. And so you end up with like, basically like the VO2 max of the mitochondria themselves. Yeah. Cause from, from my understanding, like doing more higher training volume gives you more of mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Whereas the high intensity training is really important for making those mitochondria, you know, like, like you said, ha- having better, higher VO2 max themselves. Yeah. So, so, so they've got um, like a, You've got better mitochondrial function. Yeah. So you've Whereas also what's read quite this- <laughs> interesting here is uh, you can see that these rats have gotten more of both. So it's like they've done volume yes. and intensity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that and you know like in 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 you know the context of rats, this is um, you know it it, it is kind of like doing both, and that's why it's like the like I mentioned before, like when we see a lot of papers uh, you know showing in like you know early trained people that they have the same benefits from sprint training as they do from like moderate intensity endurance exercise. Uh, and this is kind of the same. Uh, and this is, this is one of those things that creates one of those like crossovers between like, yeah, like, you know, you can get a lot of good aerobic benefits from doing high intensity, but, uh, you know, when you mention like capacity, like versus volume, um, you know, you've also read a lot of the same David Bishop papers that I have, cause he's one of the guys who, uh, talks about that the most where like, you know, mitochondrial function in terms of the mitochondrial VO2 max, as it were, is higher if you do higher intensity stuff. Um, but it seems like that's not, uh, it's not a limiter when we actually do regular exercise, but mitochondria needs the headroom, 
uh, it needs that extra capacity when we do the higher intensity exercise because the mitochondria, like the cells, don't want these things to be ever maxed out because like now you're really fucked if they if your mitochondria actually do get maxed out during exercise. Yeah, that's pretty bad news. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, so like, so- I said, would would the other takeaway be that? What these mice effectively have been doing is is high intensity exercise at all times with no break, like which is not, and, and that's why they've seen both. Kind of but yes, but a kind real of world no. human couldn't actually do that. Yeah, no, I mean that's why this is an experimental group because these conditions are like you know there's there's no contractions here there's no um you know they didn't look at glycogen so we don't know anything about that like they didn't look at uh at at any of the other things that we would normally see excuse me with exercise and so we can assume that there were a bunch of other things activated here but we don't actually know because they were not measured like uh like our next podcast for wattstock is going to look at like you know p38 and map k probably and and that was probably active uh, very well here too. Who knows? I don't like it's, it's not in the paper. It's not included because they didn't, you know, it was 2001. What are they going to do? Um, but l- like you said, this, this paper was to try and, you know, like you said, fill in the gaps and go, yeah, go a bit further. Cause it, this, it, yeah, at this point it was more just like, well, you, you do, so you ride, you know, you ride your bike, you ride hard, something happens and, <laughs> and you get more mitochondria and happy days. Question, question, uh, question, profit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it might not have provided all the answers, but at least it was starting to fill in the gaps. Yeah. Of, yeah. So this, this paper really showed like energetic stress, AMPK activation, like NRF one, um, mitochondrial growth being put together in the muscle itself, like in live animal muscle. Um, and, you know, that was a big deal at the time. And there was another study that did some very similar stuff. And I actually had to debate with whether to use this one or that one, because uh, I thought both were really good. Um, but, you know, like, but again, like, let's not get too drilled down in this and let's step back for a second, because there are other things that like can cause these adaptations. I don't want to, you know, get too many. Th- I don't want to like make it seem like MPK is like the one thing that causes adaptation. Uh, I think we've done a pretty good job of that so far, though. Um, so. Um, so yeah, so the study is, is actually lacking a performance aspect, which is normally something that like in people we would definitely want to see. Cause also we can't biopsy people like this and that would be really inhumane to actually do that. Um, and mice, mice and rats can't ride bikes. So it's quite yeah. hard to, although I, yeah. I would, that would be so adorable, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be pretty, <laughs> they could have two sets of cranks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like little mice on an assault bike. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we don't see the mice run longer or anything like that. But I think one of the reasons I like this paper and that I give it a pass on this is because up to this point in exercise physiology research, one of the things that is most highly associated with improving endurance performance is mitochondrial volume and capacity. Like, it's like, it's like, why, why add that if we see the thing like if we see double mitochondrial density, it's like a no brainer to these people at the time. Like, oh yeah, they're going to have better exercise endurance capacity. Like, like why even test it? Because we're focused on the mechanism here. Um, and so, so that's one of the reasons that actually with AMPK activation, there's not a ton of studies that directly 
go, okay, more AMPK activation, more mitochondrial density, more performance, because so many studies already at that point had seen better mitochondrial density, better endurance performance, and better better cellular energy state maintenance. Um, so, it, so like, yeah, I, I give it a pass for that. But it, it, this, at this point, from my understanding, there, there's no knowledge as to the dose response relationship. Not so really. We don't know that more AMPK means, you know, more, you know, be- better um, maintenance of, of the cell's energy state. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, so how much AMPK activation, how long, uh, all that kind of stuff, how frequent, uh, and then like how much more mitochondria do you make? Like these are, these are questions that are like, you know, we don't have exact dose response numbers, like you said. Um, but you know, in terms of like real world performance, cause I coach people, you coach people, like we know that when people do high intensity exercise, like this can be greatly improved. Uh, it's, it's, it's also like, uh, you know, from where we sit, like we don't need to biopsy people and do horrible experiments like this. No, not at all. Yeah. So, so I think now what we should talk about is what everybody is probably wanting to know. All right. So how do I activate AMPK? How do I get benefits from this? How do I use this to better my training under what conditions and under what conditions shouldn't I think about this? So, um, yeah. So as usual, the knowledge that we're going to gain from the rest of this podcast is not only to let us train in better ways than we already know how, but to also allow us to cross out all of the potential dumb ways that we could like do this kind of stuff. So, which is also, which is still very useful. It's still very useful, but also I, I, this is one of the things that I also find very useful in consulting with people too. Like when I see, when I see certain patterns in like intervals, that people do. Sometimes I'll say, this is great. Keep doing this. Or I'll say, you should tweak this a little bit like this and maybe give yourself a little bit more rest. And I give them some, you know, pointers on how to do this. And you can with people too. Like, I'm sure you've done exactly the same thing. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's stuff that you'd say like that people are, you know, it isn't optimal, you know, could be doing better. And there's also some stuff that is directly harmful <laughs> yeah. and they, they should avoid doing um yeah so we're gonna say hold on we're gonna most, i i, I don't yeah. want to scoop ourselves because i want to get to the directly harmful stuff at the end because uh because that's like that it's so much fun to to get through that stuff but <laughs> I, I don't want to scoop it because i don't want to i also don't want to get the sprinter in front of the lead out train with this stuff like i want to do this in the right order so hmm. so we're gonna get to the next big paper, and I highly recommend people check this one out. It's uh, it's a Rothschild meta-analysis on what does and doesn't activate AMPK. Um, and I was, you know, actually, this came out last year in 2022. And if I had attempted this episode, like before this paper came out, uh, it would have been like, a, it would have been an entire series long and we would have completely lost sight of the big picture because there are so many different ways to think about this. And so I figure it's probably best for people to like not get lost in the weeds here, including me, especially me. Um, and so, <laughs> so the paper goes through a bunch of studies. I think they included like 89 or 90 or something like that, or almost 100. And they looked at what does and doesn't activate AMPK. So we're going to go start with the positive stuff because the the list of what doesn't is pretty long. So we're going to go with what does. We've got three big things that help activate AMPK. And number one is exercise intensity. And this is probably a no-brainer for a lot of people. 
exercise intensity because we were just talking about sprint interval training, right? Um, so this is absolute intensity. And one of the coolest things that I saw, like they, they referenced a paper in this review and I went to read it. So, it so just, great. just before we start on that, Curly, I sure. think we, uh, so uh, absolute intensity sounds like quite a simple term. Um, and that I'm sure a lot of the listeners will, will know about, but it is still worth, um, clarifying that absolute intensity. So if me and Coley, uh, you know, both riding at 300 Watts were at the same absolute intensity, despite it would be a different relative intensity for each of us. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so 300 Watts for me, I could probably do right now for about three minutes. Um, for you, you could probably do for about, I don't know, nine hours. Um, so yeah, 300 Watts is like under your like first threshold. Like it's, it's pretty chill for you. Um, it's, it's decidedly not chill for me. It's a happy place. It's a happy place. So like, so there is, yeah. a, there is a relative thing here, but like I'm talking absolute intensity relative, relative to the same person. Um, and so that's what I mean by absolute intensity. It's not like, you know, your 500 Watts is the same as my 500 Watts. Cause you could probably do 500 Watts for like five or six minutes at this point. And I could probably do 500 Watts for like, like one and a half. Um, so, right. So the study that that they that they mentioned that I I was like fascinated by I, I loved it. Uh, they had people ride at seventy two percent of their VO two max during hypoxia, so like basically an at altitude VO two max. So seventy percent of this VO two max for this for these people was one hundred and eleven watts, and they didn't really see much AMPK activation. But then they rode at the same um, hundred and eleven watts in normal oxygen conditions, no bump in AMPK activation, no change. So So what they did, hold on, here's the, here's the third piece of this. What they did was then they had people go to the same relative 72% at like the sea level VO2 max, their normoxia VO2 max at 171 Watts. Now they saw a big jump in AMPK activation. So this is linking back to what we said earlier about how this is a uh, AMPK is very much a signal for peripheral adaptations, right? Um, and peripheral adaptations we're talking about in the muscle rather than your heart, yeah. lungs. Yeah. So typically, cardiovascular system. Yeah. So like the definition of peripheral adaptations is actually after the neuromuscular junction. So like so when so when your nerve tells your muscle to contract at like where the that signal is on the muscle surface is being received from there into the muscle is considered the peripheral uh before that pre that is considered the central which means i don't actually know where like capillaries fall <laughs> fall in this range but just in terms of like nerves and the brain and muscles i know you're you're looking confused i also do not entirely i'm just trying to think about where <laughs> capillaries would fall under that definition. yeah central or peripheral um anyway i, I- I think they'd come under peripheral because you could, again, back to the swimmer versus cyclist example, I think you could have really good capillary densities in the muscle that you're, that is trained. Okay. Hold on. We're, we're, hold on. This is nerd stuff. We're going to, we're going to skip over the we'll, nerd we'll, stuff. We'll digress. <laughs> we are, we are digressing as, as is our usual way. Um, so yeah, sorry, people are listening. We're going to, we're going to keep it focused. So anyway, so what all this means is that no matter what's holding back your muscles from making power, they're ready to handle a certain metabolic rate. 
Like they're ready to handle a certain workload to maintain cellular energy state, to maintain their ATP. So right. that's one of the things that shows us that um, that if you are not making the right the watts that you possibly can that are that you're used to making, what happens is you are not creating the cellular energetic strain on the muscles. Because if you normally train at sea level, then you go up to ten thousand feet or like three thousand meters. Suddenly, you are, your power output is diminished, but the absolute intensity is also reduced, and so is the MPK signaling. And another uh, training implication of this could perhaps be that when we're talking about doing uh, FDP or sweet spot efforts, uh, even endurance riding, we just that, that there's no real good rationale to kind of big brain what cadence you're doing them at. <laughs> Whereas, because you, you're going for peripheral adaptations, we're looking for that total metabolic strain, you know, strain on the muscles, which is um, yeah, the workload is the workload. The workload is the workload. Three hundred watts is three hundred watts. Yeah. Um, versus yeah, which is different when you know when when we're looking at VO two max and we're manipulating the cadence deliberately. That's for a, a totally different purpose. Yeah, that's that's Whereas for that's for a very very central adaptation. That's, that's <laughs> a very central adaptation. Whereas when we're talking about the peripheral adaptations here, yeah, three hundred watts is three hundred watts, and it doesn't matter how you produce it. So yeah. And so actually the, the opposite can happen too. If you are used to being at altitude, like if you are from like, you know, 2000 meters and then you go to sea level, suddenly your muscles have a huge amount of workload that they're not used to at this point. Uh, unless you are used to going back and forth from altitude to sea level. Um, and so that is one of the other things that we can, we can consider as, um, as a potential thing to think about when people are going to sea level to train from altitude or race or vice versa. Um, but anyway, we don't want to go too far into this because we got a lot more to get to. And especially with what general, uh, so in normoxia for most people, like at the regular oxygen conditions, like if you live at altitude, the elevacy level doesn't matter. Like what intensity seems to always activate AMPK? Big question. And it depends. It depends, right? <laughs> oh God. I'm so sorry, everybody. Time to drink. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So this review, the Rothschild review does not actually say exactly, but they reference, I think they reference, I forget, um, they, they should have, um, but I know that there's a great study from Glenn McConnell, uh, who's, who hosts the Inside Exercise podcast, which is, uh, which is great, by the way. Um, they showed that two hours at 65% of VO2 peak did not activate AMPK in well-trained individuals. And the reason that they did this study is because they had a previous study where in untrained individuals doing exactly this, two hours at 65% VO2 peak, did activate AMPK. And so where is 65% of VO2 max for most people? Considering most people's FTP is between 80 to 85% of VO2 max, um, for if you're well-trained, this actually turns into about 85% of FTP. This is it. A kind of upper tempo, upper tempo, low lower sweet, sweet spot, spot yeah. type of range. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, and that's that's one of the reasons that personally I don't assign that much tempo riding unless somebody is like tired and we need a little bit of workload. That's okay. A little muscular load is fine. Um, or like when they're off the couch, it's a great time to do tempo. 
because you get some of this muscular adaptation. If you're not used to doing any intensity, this is actually a good stepping stone to like to help your muscles get used to this kind of workload. And this is one one of the many reasons why. Um, and just uh, me and Coley discussed this uh, uh, this particular study a bit before the podcast. And um, if if you look into what they're actually calling trained cyclists here, it was like <laughs> what two two hours what one. Ride your bike three um, times a week. Oh no, for at no least that's half that's an trained hour. cyclists. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so there was a, t- a paper in two thousand looking at um, looking at defining the different levels of cyclists, like trained, well trained, um, you know, uh, extremely well trained or pro or whatever in world tour or something like that. There were like four bins of cyclists, and like the bottom one was trained, and they were basically riding their bike for an hour three times a week, and so that's like that's what we would consider untrained. Um, but so, so these, yeah, well, to, hold on. If, the, the second one, the yeah. well-trained, and this is what, this is what the McConnell study uses well-trained cyclists. And so they're typically riding six to seven days a week from one to four hours. Which is very precise. <laughs> but I, I think it actually goes to show that like people who are riding fairly consistently, and this is, this actually probably lines up with your coaching experience because it lines up really well with mine where like once people are riding that often for a couple months, like, like all this kind of middle intensity benefit that you get from like riding moderately hard, um, you know, from below 85% uh, FTP, it kind of goes away. So, um, yeah, my, my takeaway from this was that if you're, uh, if you are one of these people that would get AMPK activation from riding for two hours at 65%, you're also someone who's doing such small training volume that you probably don't need to be overthinking yeah. the <laughs> the land of training. perpetual noob gains where you can just go have fun and get faster and it's yeah. awesome. You don't need to overthink anything. Um, but all this points to the second thing that this paper talks about as being a good predictor for MPK activation is low training load. So not having trained that much where you, where, where you are less trained, you get more AMPK activation. And the more well-trained you get, the less AMPK activation you get because the author's note right at the top of the section, by the way, and I've been harping on this because it's Cellular Energetics 101, quote, training leads to an improved ability to maintain cellular energy charge during exercise, unquote. And cellular energy charge means having a really nice, strong ATP to ADP ratio. That's it. So um, so the review continues. Um, basically, untrained or lightly trained individuals have five times higher AMP concentrations at 65% VO2 max than trained people. Um, and they have similar AMPK activation. They've got about five times greater AMPK activation than trained people at at sixty five percent VO two max. And so, um, and so, yeah, like for this, like they they note, um, you know, like they note the same thing about what well trained people do. Um, and um, and so, like, uh, oh, oh, what's my next? Idea? Oh, yeah, it turns out. They note AMPK activation is great, greatly reduced after only seven to ten days of training, and they reference wow. three papers with this. And I've read two of them, like even before, like before this review. I didn't actually read the third, but I know two of them really well. And I went, "Oh yeah, yep, that's it." <laughs> I think one of them was the McConnell, McConnell paper. Um, oh, the other one was the Granada paper that we looked at in Watchdog Forty One with the crazy proteomics. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, really cool stuff. Anyway. So, but this also circles back to exercise intensity, right? So the more well-trained you are, the less AMPK signaling you get from middle intensity stuff, because you're way better at maintaining your cellular homeostasis. Pretty simple. Yeah. All right. Ready for the last one? Okay. I think the last one is um, probably the one that gets the most chat on forums and in cycling culture. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> I, I think again, Coley. This with with muscle glycogen. I think this is this is something that you know never harms to step back, take a step back here because I've, I've with a lot of my clients, I often assume they know what glycogen is hmm. um all right but actually yeah, you're right so like so so the thing that is associated with activated ampk is end muscle glycogen so or uh yeah end exercise muscle glycogen like what are your glycogen stores at the end of exercise and this is a messy picture so so yeah so why don't you uh, take us through a quick uh a quick tour of glycogen so uh gl- glycogen is is how we store um carbohydrate and it's it's the main fuel that we use for excess like for excess moderate and high intensity exercise. So your body will always use muscle glycogen first, and then it'll use other sources, um, fats and glucose, um, to to make up the rest. Well, not but actually, it's, it's not the- actually, not necessarily true. But um, but yeah, like but basically, like your muscle glycogen usage is highly related to your um, your ability to maintain cellular energy state and the higher you maintain it right. the less muscle glycogen you use so the better endurance trained you are the better fatigue resistance you have and the less muscle glycogen you use at higher exercise intensities and it'll use like and it will preferentially use other sources like like ingested carbohydrates um you know bloodstream lactate like intramuscular triglycerides bloodstream triglycerides um like and but you know, but it's one of those things where like in Wattstock 40, we kind of talked about like, this is why eating doesn't necessarily spare muscle glycogen. Um, cause it's yeah, more so, so, um, like how trained you are. Given, given your fitness level, your muscle glycogen usage will be tightly, uh, correlated with your exercise intensity. Yeah. It'll be reverse correlated. So the more well-trained you are, the less you use. Yeah. But I mean, g- given, given your fitness level, the harder you ride, the more muscle glycogen yes. you'll use. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So actually, pretty much at energy, any fitness level, because you can be super, super, super well trained, and you can like ride really hard and still deplete your muscle glycogen. So like it's, yeah, it's not like you have infinite um, ability to like be fatigue resistant. It's like you know, because we can watch the best in the world. We watch the Tour de France, and they still they still have a bad day. Like if they overexert themselves, it's the, like rest in peace, Pagachar. Mm. I I I was I was pulling for you this year. <laughs> anyway, so. So let's get into and, the last And the one. other Im- important oh. part about uh, muscle glycogen is that you you have as much as it, it's, it's a finite tank yeah. and it can't, it, once you start exercising, that tank can only become more empty. Yeah. You, you can't do anything it. to top it up yeah. and you can't, yeah. Or the only thing you can do to slow down how fast it's depleting is to also trained. slow down. Your, or, or, yeah, or, yeah, well, or reduce your exercise intensity. It's to slow down. Yeah. <laughs> to actually yeah, slow down. To slow down. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. So the last one here, end muscle glycogen. So 
there's a strong correlation between end muscle glycogen and AMPK activation. So this is a messy picture, by the way. So, um, so everybody put on your, put on your thinking hats and like, and, and focus on this because this, this is one of those things where in a podcast I would hear it and I would go back like five times to rehear it. Um, and I, so I hope we do a decent job the first time. So there's not a correlation between starting muscle glycogen and AMPK activation. And there's also not a correlation for rate of depletion. So to convert that to um, our, our users, it doesn't matter what you've been eating the previous few days as to how much AMPK you're going to get out of it if you're looking at that factor in isolation. And it also doesn't matter how hard you're riding. So perhaps we can get AMPK activation by riding its sweet spot for two hours or riding FTP for one hour, hypothetically. Mm. Or um, doing like really high intensity intervals. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they, they actually see the same thing. They note that it's the same in normoxia versus hypoxia and actually people with McArdle's disease, which is uh, a disease where you cannot store glycogen or, or you or can't store it. You can't use glycogen. That sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not fun. Actually, I think, uh, I think John F. Kennedy had it not mistaken. Um, so, so there's two things to consider here. And this is, this is one of the ways where people start to big brain it and big brain it the wrong way. So you can't just not eat and have low glycogen stores and then like have very active AMPK when you start riding. It does not work like that. So second, you also cannot just start riding with low glycogen stores. Like, you know, whether, whether you do it from like intense exercise the previous day, whatever it is, like starting with low glycogen stores doesn't help. Not eating anything doesn't help. Um, so why does all this make sense here? Because like, like I kind of just talked about, like what we learned in Wasdock 40 or what we demonstrated in Wasdock 40 is the conditions that might draw down muscle glycogen are related to, but are not exactly the same as the conditions that maintain the cellular energy state, like maintain the cells ATP stores. And um- a- AMPK, like as we've said in, in the introduction, is all about maintaining energy state. Right. It's not about maintaining muscle glycogen stores or whole body energy balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and actually, one of the cool things about this review, one of the reasons that I rate it so highly, is that they even note that at that end exercise muscle glycogen levels are not the actual primary driver of AMPK activity. They don't actually expand on this, so I will though. Um, so what's happening here is the, uh, that the conditions that create continuous energetic stress to the point that you can activate AMPK are the similar to the ones that draw down glycogen, but they are not always the same. So it is saying that perhaps end muscle glycogen is very tightly correlated with, uh, AMPK activation. Because but of how not, hard and how long you go during exercise. Because of how hard and how long you have to go, yeah, yeah. during the exercise to create that. But actually, it's it's a case of the, the causation that yeah, the correlation does not equal causation right. in this case. Yeah. So like so let's let's take it for example. Like let's take FTP intervals. Like if you are capable of riding at FTP for an hour and like, let's say you're training, you're building fitness and you want to be improving something like this is very different from like maintaining and getting tapering and stuff like that. But 
Now, if you go out and you, if you can do an hour at FTP and you go out and you do a two by 20, this is so chill. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's probably not enough to like to disturb your cellular energy state for long enough because you can handle this for an hour. Why do it for 40 minutes? You have to, and this is kind of like what Rory harped on in the last podcast, um, you know, a smart guy that he is, progressive overload, right? So like, so in order to get to um, more AMPK activation and this like middle intensity signal, and, and that's one of the cool things about like sweet spot and FTP work and threshold work is that it is like a combination of high intensity and low intensity. That's why I call it spicy endurance. It's it's like right in the middle. You get a lot of the adaptations of both, um, including AMPK activation and you know um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, calcium activation and all that kind of stuff. And you get into big motor units and, and th- like the whole thing's great. Um, so um, yeah, but it's one of those things where like in order to actually do this kind of exercise that's going to benefit you, I mean, just, you know, purely from an AMPK activation standpoint, you absolutely have to be able to main, to hit your absolute intensity relative to you. And you also have to be able to, you know, maintain that intensity for the right duration for you. So this is where I've, I've found that generally the, the higher level of the athlete the more important being well fueled for these FTP and sweet spot efforts is because like once your, your, your absolute uh, power is higher and the duration that you can sustain that for becomes higher, the, uh, y- you are going to need more glycogen to fuel that activity. Yep. And, and, and cause as we've just said here, what really matters is that you, you can actually do enough work at a high enough power so that you are, you know, your muscles are are getting tired at the end. It's it's almost, would you say, Coley, it's like, you know, doing like, must think of like muscular endurance, like how long can you do a, you know, um, an isometric split squat for, but you know, it's it's, it's just, it's, it's for, it's for a very specific task and, and, and you need to be able to, 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 to do that specific task to your like, yeah like um like your specific specific uh limitations yeah and and this is one of the things that that we that is like you know we actually take for granted but is one of the things that we individualize when we coach people is like you know how hard and how long can you do this okay well we're gonna have to go probably a little harder and a little longer next time um otherwise Mm -hmm. we we know for a fact from our training uh, from our coaching and training experience that like if you just do the same thing over and over all the time and you're not seeing any improvements well you clearly need to try to like progressively overload it just a little bit and you've got to be well fueled for it like you cannot you cannot hack ampk signaling by starting with low glycogen stores because you are going to be lacking the duration and the intensity to actually make this benefit you um, the authors also note there is actually, uh, not a, um, significant correlation with consuming carbs or anything like that. And they also note that any purported benefits of fasted training are not supported by any evidence. <laughs> so, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> have you not been on Twitter? <laughs> I, I have, unfortunately I've, uh, <laughs> I try to just speak when spoken to on Twitter. Um, anyway, so 
so this is this is our kind of like the big takeaways from this meta meta analysis um, is that we're looking at intensity, uh, we're looking at training load, how well trained you are, and uh, and basically how hard you have gone for how long, like to to deplete your muscle glycogen. And so like so like for instance, if you are um, if you are training for yeah like FTP work, if you if you if you do forty minutes of FTP work and like, that's pretty hard for you next time you do 40 minutes, it should feel a little easier and you should be able to do a couple more minutes. And so like you, so you keep progressively getting to the same, like to the same spot where your muscles feel like they have had that relative intensity because they can maintain that energy state for a while. Then it becomes more and more difficult as the glycogen draws down. And then you start to really get that signaling. But like for the first couple minutes, like, you know, it's, it, it, it feels easy and it is easy. Right. Yeah. So, um, so we're actually going to, it's like when, yeah, we're going to hold on. We're going to talk about that in just yeah. a second. Cause don't, don't stop the podcast here and like big brain. Oh, it feels hard. It's got to be hard. No, <laughs> it does not happen like that. So sorry, go ahead. I uh, no, I, I was just saying, man, well, perhaps that, that, that can be your, your, your mental cue when you do get to the last five minutes of an FTP effort that, that the magic does happen when in when you're going you know, slightly extending your range. Yeah, I usually I because uh, I uh, I handwrite everybody's workouts. Usually, uh, whenever somebody is like reticent to do this or they just don't like doing these efforts, but I know they need them, I'll be like, "Look, the last couple minutes where it's kind of sucks. This is where you make your money. This is where the magic yeah. happens. Um, and it's and you've got to do the same thing to get there. Uh, and you actually cannot like get there pre fatigued. So like. You know, well, we'll get into it in a second. Anyway, because I want to, I want to talk uh, first about the training load. Um, because um, actually, you know what? We already touched on this. So we're just going to move on. So, like, let's get to our main takeaways. Um, because you know, if you want to think about a ride being effective only in light of AMPK signaling, uh, which is one of many, don't forget that. Um, the first thing to consider with all of our practical takeaways here, before we get into the ways to not practically take away this, um, AMPK activation is not on or off. It's a range of activation because we're thinking about a proportion of your total AMPK uh, proteins in your muscle being active. Uh, and so it's not like it's on or off, but it's like it's a range of intensity based on the range of how well your muscles are maintaining their ATP. It's almost like these things are just trying to make it more complicated to make it more <laughs> difficult for us to understand. If only it could just be on or off. I know it's not. A, I wish it were a light switch. There are so few things in the body that are. Um, yeah. So second thing, absolute exercise intensity matters. Um, so like if you are a, if you're not riding that much, if your volume is pretty low. Uh, like if you're doing like five hours a week or something like that, you are pretty much in a state of perpetual noob gains. So as long as you're not overly fatiguing yourself, pretty much anything you do that feels kind of hard is probably going to be fine. But when you get really well trained, you've really got to start to focus and target this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. So next thing is how close you get to fatigue matters, especially around threshold and just below. So I think here where we could perhaps give a, a really useful takeaway for the listeners is to just to try and describe like how 
close to fatigue that needs to be during these FTP and sweet spot efforts. Yeah. Well, here's how I um, usually describe it. Then I want to, cause you, you do more FTP work than I do. So I want, I want you to tell me about how you coach it and how you actually do it when you're riding. So I usually tell people like an eight to get to like an eight out of 10 and an eight out of 10, some people could call this a nine, uh, same difference is, um, is where you have to really focus to keep the power up and you start staring at your computer. Otherwise you're, uh, otherwise the watts are going to fall off. So how, how do you usually think about this? That's cause that's where I think you need to get to this point and then stop. Yeah. So I, I think the, the eight out of 10 is, is kind of more useful as a, like for the, for before it gets hard, like how, how much does it feel I'm pushing? Um, so I'd say like when you're going above L, you know, up up to LT one, the, the it can just kind of happen. Yeah, it just feels easy. You just totally, you're just floating yeah. on it. Whereas once you start at FTP, even even when you start the effort, you are actually you know having to concentrate to to push against that gear. Yeah. Um. But so so that's why I'd kind of say eight out of ten is kind of useful for how it is whilst it's going along. But I, I I'd say for for how how hard it should be like within the effort and then by the time you finish the session it should be like it is starting to become yeah quite yeah you are having it's to, grippy. to to really con- it's, it's yeah it's grippy you're having to concentrate you're having to sort of use some of those kicking some of those psychological uh cues of like just just give it another minute and just trying to distract yourself from <laughs> from the, the pain, embrace it. Yeah, but yeah, your breathing should be fine. And your muscles not, it's should. Not, yeah, it, your legs should hurt quite a lot. Um, but it's, it, I'd say you are holding slightly back from that point of of like you know, it's it's the end of a race, the end of a time trial. Yeah. But it, equally, it's not that far away from that either. Mm. Yeah, I would also say for higher intensity stuff, like let's say let's say you're doing like you know, one minute race efforts, something like that. Like you're doing one minute full gas efforts to like get ready for a race where like, let's say there's a lot of one minute Hills. Um, and if you, um, tether your one minute efforts to like your FTP, like, let's say you've got to do it at like 150% or 170 or 130 or whatever percent of FTP it is. And you're doing these efforts and they feel super chill you are not going hard enough. Like you are not getting this adaptation that you want. You are not, you're not. It's like when I see uh, clients doing training like this, or, or it's kind of like what you might be doing on a kind of unstructured group ride. I say it's, it's not, it's not like it's wasted. You know, it's not like it's, yeah, it's not totally it's negative training, but it's not, it's not negative training. It's not gonna, in, in, you know, directly make you slower, yeah. but all training has like, you know, a cost benefit and it's like maximal It's like a very high cost for very low reward. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of stuff you generally want to avoid. Well, that's the kind of thing that I see with, uh, with people who, you know, do this kind of stuff. Cause I think a lot of people just want to go, how hard should I go for these? And I think some might be afraid to like really go hard because well, Mm. first of all, it fucking hurts. Um, and you also don't know, like, as, like, as you keep going hard and the watts start falling off, like, is, is this still doing anything? Can I, and I usually tell people, as long as you feel like you can still push hard, that's fine. Um, cause at some point, 
you know, like, and when you're, when your kind of legs leave you or like you get to like your interval prescription, like for like one minute efforts for most average folks, I would probably give them somewhere between like four to eight. And for super advanced folks, I will probably give them between eight and like 15 on a long day. Um, then, you know, sometimes we manipulate the restorations and like, you know, shorter rest means less Watts, but sometimes that's what we're going for, for repeatability anyway. So, um, so if you are really going for it, you can be pretty much be assured that you're going to get some benefit as long as you feel like you can push hard with this stuff. But if you are, if you were like pushing kind of hard, but not really, and it's feels pretty easy, but you just want to make it through your set. Like I would say you want to go harder and do less reps. Cause I think that's going to be the higher quality training. Cause if we, cause if we tie it back to the AMPK signaling, what we're looking for is, is the the energy state in the cell, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, it, it it is about you have to go pretty hard. Yeah. Well, to, and that's to, one of the reasons that. that stuff like you know stuff like thirty thirties and fifteen fifteens, like these. One of the reasons that these are beneficial is that they get into they make some big power, they get into big motor units, and um and re- kind of regardless of um you know like of, of anything else. Like as long as you feel like you're pushing hard and you are creating horrible cellular energy state in your muscles, you are getting some of these benefits, a lot of these benefits. And like, that's one of the reasons that it, it benefits repeatability aside from like, you know, anaerobic capacity training. Like, you know, I, I think we did a Wasdoc a long time ago where like repeatedly getting into bigger motor units, like we were talking about, this will lead to like some aerobic adaptation in these bigger motor units. Uh, and that's one of the things that I look at when people come to me like, oh, I have, I have really bad repeatability. And so we do all the aerobic training, but we also do this kind of stuff too. Just what, one thing this has got me on to thinking is when we talk about, um, FTP as, you know, a, a percentage, a fraction of your VO2 max, yeah. if, if someone who was, um, had as FTP was a lower percentage of their VO2 max, that would perhaps imply that they need to target more the, the peripheral adaptations and and they might you might be someone who was might want to focus their training more on ampk activation potentially potentially but there's a lot of a lot of things where we could go wrong with this kind of thinking but there's a lot of ways we can go right for sure um, I would say for somebody like this well first of all it's very difficult to actually tell even if you've got like wko5 um mm. Uh, cause you know, in that, um, in the determinants of, uh, you know, endurance and well-trained cyclist paper from, you know, Coyle and Coggin and, and, uh, the other two guys who I forget, um, you know, they, sh- they showed that the range in well-trained people is like, you know, it's like 65 to 85% is, is where your threshold yeah, it's is. Huge. It's huge. It's a huge range. Yeah. Uh, but you know, for the most part, most people, uh, I, I've seen a couple people in the 70% range. I'm one of them. Um, 70, 75%, most people are in the 80 to 85% range who have been training a long time. And, and one of the things that helps with this kind of stuff is actually just high volume. It really brings the stuff up and it's, you don't have to do the high intensity, although that's fine too. But like, you know, when, when we look at studies that have people exercising at 65% VO2 max, um, if you make it three hours, like clearly that's not your threshold, but for most people, um, you know, it can be a range of like, so for some people that might've been like, it might've felt harder. It might've felt like more like sweet spot and they didn't make it three hours. It was not reported if that happened or like, you know, we don't know, 
uh, maybe it's self-selected out people with a threshold of like 80, 85%. Um, and so, <laughs> so like I, I I'm going to default to like, I'm going to say if you are pretty well trained, like below like sweet spot, like, like 85, 90% of threshold is probably not getting you any intensity benefits. Like, like riding a tempo LT one, uh, this is, I'm getting ahead of myself with this, but like, I've got a note on this later about how not to big brain it. But like, like if you are riding at tempo, just because you're making more lactate, like you're over LT one does not necessarily mean you are not maintaining cellular energy state. Um, especially if you're well-trained, like some well-trained people can do absolutely ridiculous amounts of tempo work and, you know, go through a lot of glycogen, but like first they're not going to use enough glycogen to, <laughs> to like get fatigued. I've seen people do like six hours of tempo work, like without fatigue. Yeah. And that's one of the things that like it costs, it costs you, it makes you like tired, but it's not like it, this it is back to that yeah. like cost benefit of all training. Exactly. And this is the sort of thing that has a really high cost for re- relatively little benefit yeah. when you could just do a, a six hour endurance ride with a coffee stop and get <laughs> yeah get the same things, the same things. And, yeah you're less tired and yeah. you're ready to go the next day for something harder um yeah. yeah so okay so let's get back to our main takeaways here uh we're almost through these so your starting glycogen levels don't matter to activate ampk but they matter for exercise intensity and duration they matter a lot for that and so despite that the review says like starting levels don't matter we know like putting all the pieces together, they are actually critically important to getting really good high intensity aerobic adaptations. So this is where just fueling for the work required is, is really key. And um, yeah, just from, from the the more coaching I've, I've been doing, you know, uh, almost the more I realize that if you get the, 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 the basics of, of fueling, right. Um, it's is is it's actually something that even at a very high level I've found that people aren't people people yeah, don't do right and, and if you can fix it, <laughs> it really is just a game changer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um okay, so next we have total exercise duration is not critical for MPK signaling. It is critical for many other things. Uh and actually Marinus, maybe you can say a, a brief word on this because um you know, cause like when you, uh, when you started kind of knowing me and, um, and my client who's coaching you, like you started riding more, um, and you know, you're not getting a PK activation out of this, but like you're finding that it does have a huge benefit, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I, I've, over the last year I've, uh, it's my first year being, you know, other besides my coaching company, um, being a more or less full-time rider and I've I've increased my volume a lot and and the first time I saw you know multiple seven eight hour endurance rides in a week and and 30 plus hours I I I thought it was I thought it was crazy um and but I I I I thought I'd you know I just I'll I'll have have some faith in this I'll I'll give it a go and and I was I couldn't believe how how much it made yeah the, the gains I got from it and um I've I've been using it with yeah you know, with my clients just these these extra oversized endurance rides <laughs> oversized <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah it it's what what's what's I find particularly amazing is um if if you really not you know keep the intensity really easy and keep the fueling really high 
like you know so these these eight hour rides let's think i've been doing them at quite often less than 50 percent of fdp something like 45 percent and taking on about 90 100 sometimes 120 grams of carbs an hour and i remember one yeah particular occasion just one one recovery ride the next day um and and i did a yeah a really good session of um five minute vo2 two efforts including a five minute pb on on the first one um so it yeah it really uh does does help yeah um yeah okay cool um all right so i i just wanted to sneak that in there too into our watch doc episode yeah. on other stuff so um okay so our last point uh, our last practical takeaway from this is that the less well trained you are the less any of this stuff matters the more you can just go ride your bike have a snack and have fun um but after a couple of weeks um you know uh sometimes a couple of months for people um you know, you got to bring the intensity up because kind of riding at that like middle intensity at some point just stops benefiting you. Um, and, and this actually goes back to our, like, you know, the cyclist training Bible, like the periodization one-on-one, like you start with easy stuff and then you like add in some moderate intensity stuff. Then you get to the hard stuff. Like there's a reason that kind of stuff works. Like from an AMPK signaling perspective, like that's, that's pretty basic. It's like a pretty simple progression. It's a pretty simple, like intensity overload. Um, that, you know, it should work for a lot of people. Um, and actually you, we, before the podcast, you and I were talking about, uh, one of your clients who's like, you know, still getting benefits from like the, the kind of moderate intensity stuff. And you're like, I want to keep rolling with this. I don't need to like overwork this guy. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, a, a new client who I've, who I had, um, and he was he relative, relatively new to cycling. He really hadn't done, um, the, well, that he started cycling in January, and and he'd been doing kind of like uh, what what I think a lot of beginners do is 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 just this like medium hard every day, and they find they can only do about eight to ten hours a week because of that because they're always you know doing this high high cost low benefit training. Um, so then I I pulled him right back, got him to just just ride endurance, you know five five days a week day off and then just once a week of this uh like sweet spot or fdp type work and um in those first four months of of being self-coached he'd only improved by um about i think his fdp went from 250 to 260 and then with one month of increasing his volume a lot doing less intensity um is his FTP went up to 310. Um, and then another month of again, more volume and, uh, just, just still intensity, just FTP and, and sweet, sweet spot type stuff once a week. And now his FTP is up to, uh, 330. So, uh, um, Oh God. Yeah. Establishment people hate him. Like get faster with, yeah. like, with less intense training. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean, that's, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Cause like, that's, that's clearly somebody who's benefiting from like just more of the basics and, and not overdoing it. Um, cause mm-hmm. I think, I think, uh, one of the lessons that people should take from this is that the practical implications of everything, uh, like, and I think, honestly, I think this is part of one of the reasons that the podcast connects with some people, because I try to make sure that what we're talking about matches with people's actual real world experience. Because a lot of the time, like if somebody goes, oh, well, if I 
if I do X intervals because it's got, you know, it like clears more lactate like while I'm doing them or whatever, I should be able to blah, blah, blah. And therefore my FTP will go up. And a lot of the time they don't see shit. And, no. uh, and so that's why, um, you know, when, you know, like the implications of all the AMPK stuff that we've been talking about, like it's pretty simple. Like at first just do whatever, everything helps at, you know, and then after a few weeks or a few months, you've got to start progressing progressively overloading something a little bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, you maintain some intensity and you push out from your previous capability, you, you know, slow progressive overload. And then, um, you know, for hard efforts like over FTP, you can't pussyfoot around this stuff. You've got to like really give it a good whack or like, or you're really not going to be getting much benefit out of it. Um, you know, and like, if it's not making you question why you know whether you really want it <laughs> then it's probably yeah not hard well enough. i think also when it comes to like and this is the start of our like how not to do it um one of the ways how not to do it is like if you can do the exact same interval set at the exact same intensity several days in a row chances are it's not doing diddly dick for you like it like if you can like back to back ftp rides like adding time and zone like yeah that's great a lot of people can, a lot of people are, are not able to do that. So you've got to like, you know, spread it out a little more. And so that's one of those things where like, but if you do two by 20 every single day, or like if you do, if you can do like an hour and a half a sweet spot and you're doing 40 minutes a day, like five times a week, why it's not doing anything. So, so I, I think the phrase like junk miles to me, <laughs> yes, this is would be junk miles. like, I, I, I think I will never call like, long easy rides junk miles but i think like junk junk intensity like this is is much more problematic and and the amount of clients i have come to me from having had previous coaches setting them four or five days a week of junk intensity like it it, it's 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 been really quite uh surprising to me and 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 i i find it quite irresponsible really if to (laughs) of coaches to have been setting that people because it not, not only does it, it mess up your training and your progression, but it's actually going to like mess up your everyday life. Yeah. Like the carry through of that, cause it's such high fatigue and you're always being stressed about, well, oh, I've got to be able, I've got to be able to do these efforts today. You're never getting to mentally switch off as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And when, when you dial people back to, you know, you can't, switch on once you're well trained you can't switch on ampk four or five days a week year round yeah you have you have to have your easier days so you can yeah be fresh enough to go hard enough and you get other signaling benefits from the easy days too it's not like ampk is the only thing out there which i think uh, i think some people forget about um like i i remember i had a discussion with somebody somewhere a while ago they were like oh yeah well ampk is like the driver of mitochondrial biogenesis and i'm like it's not the driver it's a driver um and i i it's like yeah I, he, you know he seemed to be he they whoever they were seemed to be one of those people who like had big brained it all in the wrong way because um you know if you think ampk is like the one true signal um you know it's like the one true religion for a- exercise adaptation um and mitochondrial biogenesis uh then a logical conclusion you could have is that every single ride needs to be done <laughs> to absolute death and fatigue. Um, and you know, we've seen like hard evidence in this podcast so far that like, if like you're going to do a three hour ride and it's like, 
you know, I don't know, like 75% of FTP. And like, that's, that's hard for you. And like you do three hours, four hours and you empty the tank. Um, you don't get much more benefit at all from doing like a four hour easy ride. And in fact, you actually get a lot more problems because it's so fatiguing. And, and equally, if you, if you took the, the training program, a training program that's work that has intensity, let's say, one to three times per week, and and you took away all the endurance rides and recovery rides around that, I guarantee you not you not get the same adaptation, or, or anywhere near it because you you do get a lot of really important in, uh, a- adaptations from just riding easy that support the adaptations you're trying to get from the hard days where you are switching on AMPK. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's actually a really good point because the, I mean, I've been saying this for a long time and um, you know, cause somebody really smart said it to me once and I've, I was like, wow, boy, was, boy, was he right. And it's that, um, it's that there's no one intensity. There's no one thing that's going to like really improve you overall. Like you've got to do everything. Yeah. Um, so, and actually one of the other things um, that you might think happens is like, uh, well, um, I like the, um, so like, this is going to get into like exercise intensity and like tempo and stuff. Cause I think this is where, um, like in the, in the arguments I've had arguments, discussions, whatever you want to call them. I, <laughs> they're, they're a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the less well-trained you are, um, or sorry, the more well-trained you are and the, like the less middle intensity workouts are going to like, you know, actually activate this kind of stuff. And like, it'll just be the same benefits as like, you know, lower intensity rides. Uh, and I, I've said this for so long, uh, you know, it's almost like I've been saying this for years at this point. Actually I have. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so like, like for instance, let's like dig into the McConnell study, um, you know, about two hours uh, at 65% VO2 max, not activating AMPK for uh, well-trained people. Um, the well-trained people for like absolute context, um, Riding 200 to 400. Uh, oh yeah. So in the study, it was not the same as the you can droop and, um, and Holly uh, definitions. They were riding 200 to 400 kilometers a week. So 120 to 240 miles and in the 10 to 20 hours a week range. Uh, and they rode 120 minutes at 65% VO2 max. So like this is over LT1, probably for all of these folks. Uh, and is, is this the, the carbohydrate feeding study? Uh, I do Probably. not believe it is. This is the, um, not, not activating NPK study from McConnell. Um, so I looked into the, okay. I looked into the papers figures, um, cause I had forgotten what they looked like. And, uh, in figure four, we see everyone with a low level of activation at 30 minutes, but in untrained people, the NPK activation more than doubles at minute 120. And it's like barely up. Like it does, it doesn't pass the statistical significance test, um, for the, uh, for the trained people. And it doesn't even pass it by like eyeball. You would go, that's a little elevated, but it could easily be error. Um, mm. so it's done. Nothing. Yeah. So like, so, so these people are riding around 85% FTP, like on average, I would say. So, so if you're out and doing, and you're well-trained, you're normally riding, and like, let's say you're doing two to four hour rides to exhaustion at like something like 70, 70% FTP or whatever. Cause I know that's where a lot of people will like try to peg their endurance rides. Um, you're actually probably not getting nearly as much out of this as you should. Um, and, and 
you know, I would rather somebody like go out once or twice and ride sweet spot hard than like, you know, do this kind of like middling intensity all the time because of the fatigue and, and not a lot of benefit. And so like, and so I think at first actually, um, actually including in, uh, I, I recently heard David Bishop on uh, the inside exercise podcast and he was talking about how like, you know, he would, yeah, he would want to do more, um, you know, more, uh, like his, the easy rides kind of like over LT one to get some AMPK activation benefit. And I'm like, Oh dude, like, like McConnell himself, who's hosting the podcast is like, like he, he's never put the numbers together like relative to threshold (laughs) where it's like, Oh no, that you actually don't get much at all. Like as McConnell's study showed, (laughs) It, did you just say he suggested doing easy rides over LT1? Yeah, over LT1. He was, I mean, because I also think that he wasn't so, considering that's, high that's, volume for a lot of people. Not, not an easy ride. It's not ride. an easy ride. That's just like saying, do do an easy ride, not easy. It's, yeah, it's like, it's like do your Doesn't easy rides like at tempo pace. And I actually, I have this discussion with some of my clients, some of them who've been training for years and years and years and years and years. And like a lot of them you know, are, are con- kind of conditioned from their previous training and previous coaches or self-training where they want to like get as many Watts out of every ride as possible. But, you know, like some of the diesel engines on some of these pros, like, like it is unconscionable how hard they can ride for how long. Um, and when you are out there, like kind of riding over a little over LT one, like kind of getting tired of it on every ride, like there's 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 absolutely no benefits from that, and all this data shows it. It, it, it like, you know, you might get some benefits from uh, from other stuff a little bit, but like it's it's better if you ride hard when you're supposed to ride hard, and ride easy when you should ride easy, and like doing the middle intensity all the time, junk intensity, just like you said. I think another another cue you can. Uh, perhaps tell yourself if, if you're caught on a, a ride doing that and thinking um thinking that it's that it's going to help you just ask yourself could i win a race by riding at this riding off the bunch <laughs> yeah. of this intensity um uh, and if if the if the answer is no then then it's it's not well gonna work. maybe you, you know, could if- win unbound riding at that intensity <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i mean actually i think um i think one of the other things to consider here is like kind of like we said of like needing good glycogen stores and like and having low glycogen at the end of your ride if like because that i've seen also be bandied about as one of those things like oh you've got to have low glycogen at the end of every ride to get a lot all your maximum aerobic benefits from it and that's absolutely not true because that's you know that's the sprinter before the lead out train again like it's not necessarily the fact that you've got low glycogen at the end of your ride is the fact that you were able to perturb your cellular energy state. And if you go in fatigued enough that you cannot ride many hard Watts to like the dura- to the duration that your cells can maintain that energy, the, uh, the, you know, um, the energy stress, like if like, let's say you're absolutely fucked and you're, you're exhausted and you go out and you ride four hours at like tempo pace, but it's like, you could easily in a race do like seven or eight at that pace. You didn't do anything. I don't care how low your glycogen stores <laughs> are at the end of this thing. You did nothing. You made yourself tired. It also, it also, just, do, it also just doesn't sound like No, fun. it's misery. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> it sucks. It sounds awful. Yeah. Um, and so, and so like that's, it's the junk intensity and, thing. And you more like. hole of middle intensity. And you probably like spending time glycogen depleted is, is gonna especially if you don't replenish it quickly when you get yeah. home 
um, is it's really suppressing your immunity. Yes. And then you get sick a lot, you get injuries. Um, yeah, like you get, you get, um, you know, hormonal problems, like, uh, like people who are in like chronic energy state, like if you, like if you're grumpy, if you got brain fog, um, and one of the things that people don't want to talk about a lot, but I will like you lose your sex drive. Like it's, it's, it's horrible. And like, and my, uh, a lot of my clients actually tell me, tell me about their sex drive. Like it's up, it's down, whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, this is a good clue. Um, and so, you know, and you know, if you're a person who generally when you're not training, doesn't have high sex drive, like maybe it's not a good market for you, but like for a lot of people, it actually, it actually is. So, um, um, and so, but, but, but back to the, the immune suppression, if, if, if that, if, if being, you know, glycogen depleted even did slightly, you know, augment the, the stimulus from the training, if it means that you, you're going to get ill even once more per year, oh, yeah, that's, that lose sucks. one week of extra training per year, that 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 tiny augmentation of the stimulus has already been cancelled out by that week of yeah. training. That's well, been and if you come back from that week of training like really strong because uh, you never rest, I mean, I'd say that was that was probably beneficial. Um, some people need to lose that week of training, but most people don't. You're right, um, especially if you're like a professional athlete. Um, you know, riding at the level you're at, you know, losing a week, that can be a lot. Um, and so, um, and so actually, and it could mean, it could mean you miss a race. It could mean you miss a race, could mean you miss an important result, uh, or more, um, you know, team connections, stuff like that. So like, uh, another way to do this badly is like to start every workout glycogen depleted. Um, and to also think that like, if something feels harder, it is harder. But like I just said, if you cannot ride hard enough to create these, these, uh, this uh, energy stress from your exercise, uh, is if you like, if you're, if you're like, man, my FTP Watts are down today. Like I'm going to ride, you know, if I can only do like sweet spot today for like 40 minutes and normally I can do FTP for 90 or not 90, like an hour, like you are it, this is not a good workout. It's not, you have to be able to ride hard enough. The absolute intensity matters. Like we said. Um, so don't, so don't, uh, yeah, try and do your FTP efforts at, on like on, on terrain that doesn't suit you. Like if, if, if you know you produce better power on a mm-hmm. climb and you've got a climb that's convenient and close to you and, and uh, then go and do that. I don't think you have to, yeah, I would say do it on the trainer. It's certain. Perfect <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that unless you have problems and- pushing on flat ground and that's a skill that you need, like then, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, I would do both. Um, I would be like half yeah. your intervals. I want you flat ground where, where you feel uncomfortable and half of them like go uphill where you feel really good. Um, but I would also say, uh, cause I actually dug into that normoxia hypoxia study about absolute exercise intensity. Um, where they saw the you know big improvements in AMPK activation at like the seventy two percent of normoxia, but not at hypoxia, is the same exercise mm-hmm. intensity. Um, yes, yeah. right. So, um, so in that study, um, the participants who ate ninety grams an hour um, versus zero versus forty five. Actually, was that the normoxia study? Um, that, that that's oh no, a sorry, yeah, study, that was yeah. this is the one from yeah. this is the one from uh, uh, Watsock forty. Um, where, yeah, where they, yeah. uh, we looked at how f- eating food doesn't impact your cellular adaptations. So people who ate 90 grams an hour saw a big bump in P38 activation. We're going to talk about that in another podcast, but they also saw a huge bump in 
in uh, calcium uh, cam two uh, cam K two activation for three hours of tempo riding. Um, I, I did look into to that yeah. more, and um, so yeah, the they it looks like they're about LT one um, because it was about yeah two hundred eight watts for people with the VO two max and average was 60.5, um, which sound sounds like about LT one. And then they, this is the study with the performance test at the Mm. end. And uh, they took the muscle biopsies after, after that sub maximal exercise. And so um, they, you could have hypothesized that perhaps um, the extra carbohydrate feeding was, meaning that it cancelled out the difference because it enabled them to do that test at the end at a higher intensity. Yeah. But actually, this the, all the biopsies were taken before they did that high-intensity yeah, test. Yeah, so it was just end. like after like, so, riding so tempo. Even, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so so for the, the easy riding was done either like at the same intensity, either but you still got more um, adaptation by having more carbohydrate. So even if it doesn't make you do more work, it's still giving you more adaptation, it's, it's, which I thought was yeah, quite it, yeah. I thought it was really interesting too. It really benefits you um, because I think because one of the other ways that I, I conjured to big brain this kind of stuff is like to ride fasted, um, like oh, so because because like if you know because when you get out to like you know when you're when you're out near the end of your threshold intervals, it feels hard, right? And so like. Yeah. And so one of the ways to misinterpret this would be to like go, oh, everything that feels hard is activating AMPK and like getting that intensity activation. <laughs> that is absolutely not the case. So like you ha- so you you cannot do this. Like you your RPE does not match like your cellular things because like your brain is integrating so many different signals, but your muscles are just like Am I working or am I not working? Like, what's going on here? Like, am I working hard? Am I working moderately? Am I not working that hard? So if you can't push hard, you are not going to get the adaptations that you want from, like, you know, the intensity that you're trying to achieve, even if it feels hard. Um, yeah. yeah. So, like, um, and the same goes for, like, riding faster or with low glycogen or any of this kind of stuff. Like, it just doesn't work. Um, like especially for AMPK activation, there are some other ways that this could potentially, uh, give adaptations, but like, I want to do this in another Watts doc and mostly tell people not to do it. But like, if you are going to do it, um, I will give you some guidelines and like what the actual stimulus could be. But like for AMPK, there's, there's nothing here. There's literally zero. Um, so yeah. So like, don't ride fasted, don't restrict carbohydrate intake. Don't do everything hard just because it's hard. Like, you know, like, especially once you become better trained, um, you are potentially screwing yourself in the short term and long term by like making everything too hard, not eating enough, um, or, you know, not, not training to the intensities that your body is capable of. Uh, I'd say it's the sort of thing that you can maybe get away with more if you're if you're training less and or you're less ambitious so a lot of these people the instagram influencers or <laughs> you know, like that you might see that are promoting you know, extreme well, you've, uh, you've seen more of them lately than i have so please yeah please tell me about them well well so yeah if, like frequently I'll, I'll i'll get clients saying oh, oh no I've, I've got a mate or i've seen this person who's you know 
on, on a ketogenic diet and they seem to be doing great or they're doing all these fasted rides and, and, and it seems to be really working for them. Um, and I, even in the past, you, you know, pros used to do, I, you know, it, not, not long ago, Bradley Wiggins was cited as, as having done six hour fasted rides. And, um, it's, you know, so there, there is, a, there is a lot of stuff out about it there, but I would say that, yeah, it's, it's the more, the higher level you, you're trying to, uh, compete at that the more careful you have to be about yeah, this you stuff. absolutely have to be and, careful because especially like the like yeah. uh once you get very strong like the energy deficit that you create the total energy demand yeah, it's is huge is, like and yeah, you 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 look at like kilojoules per week way more than i do uh so like you know i i wouldn't be surprised to see you doing like thirty thousand kilojoules in a week and like you know how long does that take to eat back a while. Well. <laughs> yeah. So actually, this gets to yeah. the last point about how not to big brain this shit. Um, the and potentially this is like the worst and dumbest way to do it, which is why I left it for last because I can't imagine many people would consider this. But this is also what not to do. If you think that leaving your cellular glycogen levels low after you're done training and restricting carbohydrates, you might think that this could help activate AMPK. It does not. It absolutely does not. So like while your starting glycogen levels have nothing to do with AMPK activation, because you've got to like work hard for a while to get this to happen. And your end exercise activation does because of the intensity dependent way of how you get there. So the question is, if you stop working out and then you don't eat to keep your glycogen stores low, are you keeping AMPK more active? No, definitively you are not. So what happens when you stop exercising, like, cause, cause in a lot of stuff where, where, where you look at like concurrent training, a lot of people say, and I've said it myself, your AMPK activation level is slightly above baseline for a couple hours after you're done exercising. It's like mm. 10% more while like during intense exercise, it's like, you know, hugely more like 10 times or five times or whatever. It's like, like after you're done exercising, AMPK activation goes damn near baseline levels and like barely statistically significantly higher, like barely. Um, and so you're not getting anything by restricting food. And actually you are screwing yourself in the long run because you are like, you know, this is a good window to like rebuild your glycogen stores. This is called the glycogen window for a reason. And like, yeah, if you don't have intense exercise to do for like a week, it's less important that you, you know, eat within this like half hour, hour after exercise. But like, if you've got a double day or you got hard stuff the next day, you absolutely need to take advantage of this. And by, by restricting food here, you are not helping yourself in the least. And, um, I think back to what you're saying about, uh, AMPK only being activated for like pretty much whilst you are that, that, that higher exercise duration, that's why we find in in well trained people there is there is kind of quite a narrow window of of intensity that that is going to be work well for this, and that that is stuff that's you know above sweet spot and up to and at around FTP yeah, and, and even over. Because if yeah. you go much, yeah, but if you if you go too much over it, then it's like you can't do enough work potentially once you're well trained. Yeah, well, that's uh, well, it depends on like. Now, because now we're in a question of like what motor units do we want to train? Because, you know, when you are yeah, doing yeah. FTP work, like you are recruiting more motor units as you go and you're training them up. But like for most people, like there are a few, a handful of exceptions. 
Um, but for most people, like if you are only doing threshold work and then you get into a crit, most people are not going to be good at repeatedly accelerating. Um, and I remember back when I was racing crits, like I was not like that. I, it took me like five to five to six races to really feel like I could really race. And the one year I actually did deliberate training of like repeated sprints for like an hour, um, five seconds, 10 seconds, like every minute or something like that. Uh, I like now we are, I was like max intensity short, like, and repeatable. And so like, I would do, I don't know, like 60 more, like a hundred sprints in training, (laughs) by the way, this is very hard and requires a lot of rest afterwards. Um, but like when I got to races, I could race, like I could race two or three crits back to back, like without losing my height and repeatability because I had trained my big motor units. Um, and one of the reasons is like, yeah, MPK activation, um, is a big one, but also the fact that those motor units are being recruited at all. And so they're like building glycogen stores, they're building mitochondria, they're becoming more aerobically trained. Like, cause it's not just like FTP, cause that's just an easy one to, to think about. But like when you're doing five minute efforts, if you're doing them for like race efforts, you want to get better at like smashing five minute hard hills, you got to do five minute efforts. Mm. Like if you do them a little submaximally, that's fine. But like, you've got to get pretty damn close to being like at the end of your limit for these things. You can't do them just kind of like, Oh yeah, this is totally fine. I was breathing out of my nose for five minutes. Like you probably, unless you're like moderately trained, you are probably needing to actually really go hard to make these actually benefit you. So Curly, can I put to you a, a kind of hypothesis, oh, okay. <laughs> a potentially big brained way um, that you could perhaps pick apart. So one, one thing I've heard a coach saying is that um, the reason the sort of, works at slightly above FTP works to like, so, you know, doing eight, 10 minute intervals, slightly above FTP, how this would work to increase your FTP is that you want to be getting into the motor units that are responsible for riding slightly above it to then make your FTP higher effectively. Pick, pick that. (laughs) What, why, why is, why does that not work? All right. Why that does not work for the listeners is um, basically your FTP is much more linked to your VO2 max than it is to your motor units being aerobically trained, like by uh, like a ninety nine percent. So if you raise VO2 max, you are going to raise your threshold. That's why VO2 max is the ceiling on your threshold. So if you are training the motor units just above your FTP. The way that this would raise your FTP is if is if it is raising your VO2 max. It is not because you're training bigger motor units. That is absolutely a thing for sure. But when it comes to the actual muscular adaptation, like does this also train the muscles to a good degree? Sure, it does. Um, but it's like it's short. It's shorter than you can do at threshold. And if you do them just barely above threshold, um, you know, you're missing a duration component here. Duration is such a huge driver of exercise adaptations, like at and below threshold and, you know, just above. So like, if you can do, um, you know, if you do, if you go out and you do a bunch of 30 minute time trials and you, and you can hold your threshold for like 60 minutes, like, is this going to raise your VO2 max? Um, 
or you know train your bigger motor it'll train your bigger motor units a little bit yeah sure is it going to raise your vo2 max uh for most well-trained people no it won't so like the number of people i've seen try to do this like and you know pull your ftp up from above like this is what vo2 mm. max work does it's not a motor unit thing like just being aerobically trained does not and you might think, oh, it clears lactate. Therefore, if I can clear lactate more, like, <laughs> therefore, I will raise my <laughs> FTP because, like, FTP is where you stop, like, where you can't clear lactate anymore. But the lactate comes as a secondary consequence of other conditions, like, that happen first, and then, and then the lactate comes. It's not like your body's making lactate obligately, and then suddenly, okay, now I can clear it, my FTP is higher. It does not work like that. So does does that make sense? Although, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. It just it's just uh, explains why a lot of it, yeah what what people might call pull workouts oh. <laughs> don't don't work. Oh, interesting. Um, and actually, I would say that's the same thing for LT one. Like, like oh, you want to raise your LT one? Like, ride above it a lot. Like, no, if you want to raise it, you ride just below it or decently below it a lot, and way below hundred watts yeah, below. Yeah. Uh, well, a hundred watts yeah. for you, but for me, it's like 20, <laughs> 30. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, like my, my LT one, like hundred Watts. And if I go out and I do a three hour endurance ride, I'm going to do it at like 70. Um, cause that's all I need. And that that's, and that's it. And then I rest, I recover and it's higher. Like I've, I've raised it like, you know, uh, you know, 10 or 15 Watts since I like started doing more riding again recently. And like, you know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a pretty simple process. Like you don't need to, you know, the pulling it, pulling it up is like something that happens if you're kind of well-trained, but like, I swear to God, most people, if you go back to doing the program that you did when you were first starting training and you tried to do it now that you've been training for three, four five years, it's not going to work. Mm. So, um, so we've gone on pretty damn long. So would you like to get some our get to some of our listener questions before we wrap this up? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Cool. All right. Love to. Um uh, Okay, I got to roast somebody. I when I ask for questions on the podcast on like a topic, when people ask me questions not on the topic, um I usually skip them, but we're not going to talk about cramps. <laughs> <laughs> this is AMPK activation. <laughs> We're not going to talk about cramps. Um, what is AMPK? We got to that one. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, this is actually not a bad one. Um, thanks, Franz. Uh, if fasting apple cider vinegar and smoking elevate AMPK, why can't I just do that and be Tadek Pagachar? The answer is because uh, you're not actually exercising when you do it. Like exercise is the real thing. Because your energy state is is not compromised. The energy state of your cells is not. Yeah, like smoking isn't going to activate AMPK in your quads. Um yeah. I think. Apple cider vinegar. Does apple cider vinegar activate AMPK in your muscles? Like that's strange. If it I, I couldn't imagine uh, that would happen. I I've I've heard it it, it reduces the insulin response to uh, um, food. Um, uh, well, I mean, based on the fact that I, 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 I've never, perhaps this person's getting confused. I, I, I think he's taking some... the piss a little bit. 
Um, yeah. I, I've danced with him a little bit. He's uh, he's he's a little you know for a German, <laughs> he's he's a little sarcastic, <laughs> and I appreciate that for a German um, or anybody really. Uh, okay, are intervals at the end of a zone two session really beneficial for muscular endurance, or is it just mental? So, like in the light of AMPK signaling, let's let's consider this. Is it better to do intervals at the end of your ride, or like? you know, potentially throughout or at the beginning when you are more fresh? What do you think? Uh, definitely, in terms of AMPK, it's better to do them at the start of the ride so that you can produce that high enough power output for long enough, as we said, is is necessary. Because if, if you leave it till the end of your ride, um, for example, you might have depleted some glycogen because believe it or not, even easy riding does deplete glycogen. Yeah, mostly fat, but yeah, um, a good amount of glycogen gets worked. Mostly fat, but it, yeah, you, you're, yeah. So you're not going to be fresh enough to do high enough uh, intensity for long enough to be fatiguing um, the relevant uh, muscle fibers in a way to actually create the, 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 the AM, yeah, the, the change in energy state in your yeah. cells to activate AMPK that we're looking yeah. for. I would say for somebody it, like you, so like it, for somebody at, like with endurance as good as yours, like you, you barely fatigue as you ride for a couple hours. Uh, and so like it, no, you start to feel yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so for you, like I would want you to do them when you feel best. Um, or like throughout a ride, cause it's not going to be nearly as important. Like, and you and, um, you and our, our mutual friend, um, you know, like, like you guys can both do like a five minute max effort every hour during a seven hour ride. And they're basically going to be like within like 20 Watts of, of every other effort. As long as we've been, as long as you've been well. feeling well. Yeah, exactly. So, um, drinking. yeah. So like, I would say for most people, yeah, do them while you're fresh. Like if I were going to go do hard efforts and on a long ride, like as badly aerobically trained as I am and as well strength trained as I am at this point, I would want to do them right off the bat when I'm nice and fresh and then I can like get a snack and spin easy. Um, cause otherwise, yeah, I can't, can't ride hard enough. Not that it would matter that much for me as like as trained as I am. Cause I am in the, I'm in the quote unquote trained category and not well trained. <laughs> so, um, do long, low-cadence efforts at like 60 to 75 RPM near sweet spot, are they good for large motor unit endurance? No. I would say maybe. Um, okay, so are you getting into larger motor units when you do this? The answer is yes. Um, how large? I think it depends on the muscle force and all that and how fatigued they are because as you fatigue, you recruit more. Uh, but I would say you want to... Um, I personally would rather do harder, like actual, like efforts over threshold at like normal cadence. Cause it's, it's so much more specific to your race demands. And I pretty much only give people like low cadence stuff like this. If it's a deliberate weakness, like if somebody's having trouble climbing a mountain at like 70 RPM at the end of a race, but I know normally if at the end of a race, like on flat ground, they can do normal power and their power outputs reduced. Like, yeah, we're going to train them to like, you know, like do the low cadence that they are complaining about that they, that they are not strong at. So that's the one time I would really do it, but otherwise I would rather use like specific efforts. Yeah. I think this comes back to what we've mentioned throughout the podcast is that, uh, you want, um, like it, it is about the absolute, uh, absolute power, not, not, and, and the, the, the absolute metabolic rate and, 
the power output is what drives that and and the cadence whether it make if it makes it feel harder it it doesn't mean that it doesn't change the the, the metabolic cost yeah. you know the total energy demand on on your cells yeah. and, and that's what matters for so if we if we are strictly talking about ampk um then then doing them at a lower cadence isn't isn't going to affect that yeah yeah it actually would spread out the uh the metabolic load throughout more muscle fibers by riding yeah. a low cadence. Yeah, because like if you're doing if you're doing like 300 watts at like 70 RPM versus 300 watts at like 110 RPM, the 110 RPM fibers like yeah. they have a greater metabolic load. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you mostly it'd be a, a higher proportion of type one fibers, the higher yeah, the cadence. But that also depends on because somebody else actually the next question is is there a difference in behavior between type one and type two fibers? And I would say it depends on the person. Like you have probably a whole lot more, you probably have twice as much and as many slow twitch fibers as I do or more. Um, I mean, relative to even muscle mass. Um, and so like I might be 80% fast twitch at this point and you're probably 80% slow twitch, but like, you know, how many of those muscle fibers you're using at any point is a good question. So like, cause here, here's one of the things that I want to do in a myths episode actually is I want to discuss with people about how, just because you're at a certain exercise intensity does not mean you are recruiting a certain type of muscle fiber. And, and also some, just some interesting takeaways I was getting from that uh, carbohydrate study was that, um, well, just that you were getting still almost as much fat oxidation in the type 2A fibers as you're getting the type 1 yeah. fibers. Yeah, we, we did a podcast um, episode so, on that so like, about on cross-country skiers who's like who's type 2 fibers are just about equal as their as their slow twitch fibers, like in terms of like fat oxidation and aerobic capacity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just, there's just, just in more more data to illustrate <laughs> the point. Yeah. I find it, I no, find yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, okay, we did this. Uh, how do min max the mitochondria adaptate? What is a min max? Minimum and. Um, Maximum. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, what? here we go. Min-maxing like? is a character-building strategy of maximizing a specific desirable ability, skill, or other power of character and minimizing everything else seen as undesirable. Uh, what was the question? Uh, how do you min-max the mitochondrial adaptations? Is it what? Get, get them... Get the I, most. Apparently, this is a, a gaming or a programming thing, and uh, clearly neither of us do either of those things because I really don't know what this means. Um, <laughs> I'm checking out the wiki article on mini on min maxing, uh, and I don't. Yeah, now we're going to skip this question. Uh, sorry, sorry, listen. We're too we're too stupid. Oh god, sorry, folks. Um, okay, maybe right into yeah, Elon Musk. If there's a podcast, oh god. And- I, Please no. Might be able to answer. Um, which intensity and volume distribution do you prefer for adaptations for one-day road races? Um, I, okay, so I, I've talked about this on the podcast before. My answer is I don't consider just intensity or volume distributions before I do the planning. I plan for somebody's ability to recover and what they need in terms of like aerobic adaptations or otherwise for specific races or whatever. And so I, it's not... They're not factors I ever consider when planning. It it would be like planning like what percentage of 
carbohydrate, fats, and proteins you're going to eat for the next year. <laughs> you like you would never do Cause, it because right because you might get but, sick and like exercise less, but you're like, oh god, I've got to get like ninety percent carbs today, and for my, <laughs> but you're yeah. like you're on, you're on like three thousand kilojoules because you're like because you're like resting and recovering and like oh god, I, I don't have any fats or proteins. No, you got to stick to the plan. So you got to stick to the plan. That's a great analogy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't really do it like that. Um, so if I have two hours to ride, will I maximize adaptation by going as hard as I can? I think everybody knows the answer to this one, but let's, uh, yeah, let's answer it. It depends, of um, course, because if you're, on how well trained you are, if you never on how well trained yeah. you are. Yeah. If, if you've never ridden, ridden your bike much, then, then it, it's perfectly ample. Although I would suggest, why would you ride as hard as you can when you can ride easy and still improve really fast and build up less cumulative fatigue so that when you are more well-trained, you're ready to, to do the really hard stuff to actually yeah kick, kick yeah. on again. Yeah, actually, and have, having so, that kind of perspective on it, I think is really helpful too. Because as, 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 it, as it, we uh, discussed earlier... It, it can only take seven to ten days before uh, the, what what you need to elevate MPK AMPK. Uh, well, or, um, or the yeah no, the significant significant reduction in AMPK activation because yeah you get a significant yeah. reduction in AMPK activation after just seven to ten yeah. days because that was so, one of the earliest things that was ever found in endurance training like as an adaptation it's like oh look more mitochondria oh look yeah better control of the energy state like. And by the way, energy state, this is not like some modern thing. Like I have books here from like the seventies, which, and they're talking about like, you know, the adenylate state of the cell and stuff like that. Like actually, here we go. Uh, so this was a, like a conference and like, um, contributors, here we go. Uh, control of citrate synthase and mitochondria. Um, uh, Where's my favorite one here? Um, citrate and cit- uh, the citrate cycle and the regulation of energy metabolism. Like, like, um, oh, metabolic control in mitochondria by adenine nucleotide translocation. Like, like the the cellular energy state and this stuff. Like, this was put out in 1967. Like, this is not a new concept. This is like old stuff. This is like absolute bottom of the barrel like cellular bioenergetics 101 stuff um so like this is not like some yeah and that's exactly why we should just forget <laughs> about all that and just well, actually, listen to our i wanted to actually marinus i want to ask you Instagram about this influences. though because because like yeah I, I think in in terms of like the modern training cycling sphere it seems like like not everybody obviously but like some of the some of the more louder folks have forgotten about this stuff or like they don't emphasize it as much as I think they should. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree, but it's just, it, it's like what, whatever is people, it, it doesn't it, like, it doesn't sell sexy. to just, <laughs> yeah, it's not sexy. It doesn't it's sell sexy to just like say, lactate well, and fats and like fasted training and yeah. Like, yeah. There's there's no there's no product to buy or there's no like yeah there's no like image to sell and like and and, and I'm not yeah. trying to sell my image with this stuff either going like oh look how smart I am like I I learned this from other people I learned this from like the people who studied this stuff like I am I am like 
I am just a messenger. I, I don't do research. I, I have research projects I would like to see on this kinds of stuff, but like, you know, I don't, I don't research. I read other people's research and I, I, I try to make it into useful advice. So, um, and, and that's why you're not as, uh, rich or famous as Inigo Sam. Uh, so. <laughs> he's got a Richard meal and I've got a Rolex. Uh, it's okay. It's only several magnitudes of, uh, orders of magnitude difference in price. Um, anyway, yeah. so, okay. So last couple questions. Um, um, uh, something about nutrition, high or low carbohydrates or just some days low and some days high. Uh, yeah, we kind of touched on this. Like don't, this does not help AMPK activation or like, or the intensity. Cause you cannot, like we said, you cannot maintain the high intensity you need for the duration that you need to, to make all the signaling work. So, so what, what I'd say, um, as to like high constantly high carb or periodized is, is, is what I find is, as well as like ecologically with, with my clients. Ecologically. That, what? <laughs> um, I think maybe I overuse this and or like misinterpret that word, but I mean like when it comes to applying in a real like world, like setting real life, um, that like it, it, it is, is quite hard to, that this, that if, if you can say to people, um, that before these, you know, one to three sort of harder rides a week, you know, before them in the 24 hours before the, the two to three meals, three, four meals before that, you really need to focus on getting in enough carbohydrates to load your glycogen stores for this hard well, session. I, you're, you're losing me. Then get to the, get it, then, to the point. If, cause if I'm getting lost at this point, like the listeners are getting lost. <laughs> okay. So, so what I'm saying is that, um, like, you need to focus on carbohydrate intake before your your hard sessions and then before your your endurance rides it doesn't really matter like high carb low carb medium carb it it doesn't it doesn't really matter yeah. so i think the person was asking around should should, should i be should, you know high carb low carb periodized oh, like like should some like should some rides would would you benefit from like low actually should you benefit from would you benefit from low carb for some rides i would actually say no but like you don't have to. No, I say no. But what what I'd also say is, like if it's just an endurance, yeah, ride, you don't you don't have to go like, like whether fifteen you, grams per kilogram body weight the day before to fuel no, for it. No, so I just say just the day. Just make sure you're generally in energy balance and you're eating a good, healthy, balanced diet with enough protein and enough micronutrients. And then if it's just endurance, right? Like you don't need to sweat it. It doesn't matter. Like if you want to have like two avocados because you love avocados and have a bit less pasta. <laughs> Do that. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Two avocados. That's a lot. But or yeah. You have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But some, sometimes you crave it or like there's a whole pot of hummus used by date is tomorrow. You like, and you can't have half a pot and you've got to finish it off. So like, or, or like block of cheese. It's really nice. Like you, you just want to have that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's just an endurance ride tomorrow. That's right, yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't. fuel the work so, required. Um, but like, yeah, but I, I yeah. think I think also like, yeah, to go to go to our previous point, like you can't, um, you don't get any extra benefit from like under fueling, and actually, you can get especially from your hard rides, you can actually get reduced benefit from under fueling by a lot. Um, yeah, yeah, is 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 not a way to. There's there's no hack there with the new the new. No, and in to fact, get. there are very few hacks mm-hmm. in general. Uh, well, it, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm the hack, but like 
but I mean, there, there's like no biohacks <laughs> here. Um, and I, so I think, cause like all this stuff comes down to like, all this stuff supports the very basics fuel. Well, like get consistent quality, hard training sessions when they need to be hard. Um, like you don't have to like destroy yourself every single day. And like, you know, NPK and KMK2, like the and calcium, like these are two of the big ones for like aerobic adaptation. There's a lot of others. Like I can probably name three, four, five right off the bat, but like, like these are the generally well-studied ones and the most well-implicated ones. And like, they like to, to use the knowledge with these, right. Um, it just requires just the basics, just nailing the basics, like ride easy when you got to go easy. So you can ride hard when you need to go hard. It's, it's, uh, probably like the best takeaway for this whole thing. So, um, anything that you think we kind of forgot to touch on or did we kind of, uh, did we kind of beat this one to death as usual? <laughs> Uh, I, I think the one last thing, which is actually quite important, but we should be able to cover quickly, is just to say that, um, like more AMP, like from these studies, when you find like more uh, more AMPK activation, that doesn't necessarily translate into performance. Yeah. And actually, because we had talked about this beforehand, because because um, actually in the review. Um, they looked at different ways to look at AMPK activation. Um, and they looked at phosphorylation of different sites because AMPK is a trimer, which means it's got three subunits that come together to make the whole protein. Um, and they looked at acetyl-CoA carboxylase phosphorylation as like a target for AMPK activation. And a lot of the times when we see moderate AMPK activation, we can see a lot of uh, ACC activation or uh, phosphorylation and, or which would actually deactivate it um, and turn off that like that, that anabolic pathway in favor of AMPKs like catabolic pathways. Um, so, so like, yeah, a lot of it doesn't translate directly to performance. And actually in the, um, uh, the authors note that too, where like, especially in the, like the early aughts, um, they were doing, uh, and you know, even into the teens, like a lot of people were doing like MRNA studies, like, Oh, we've got more MRNA for this thing. Therefore we should get more, benefit but like it doesn't translate to performance they didn't even translate it into like more mitochondrial density or enzymes or like cytochrome c or citrate synthase or like you know mitochondrial respiration function or anything like that like they just went mrna good enough done so yeah and and the authors actually note like one of the other things that in the future people should do uh is actually measure the atp amp ratio or like just the amp concentration in general for the cells uh, and that would actually help the context of all this kind of stuff, uh, uh, like a lot more. Um, but that's also, you know, like one of those kind of academic things, but like generally speaking, that's one of the reasons that sometimes it's hard to pick a good representative study for the stuff that we talk about here in Wattstock, because I'm looking for something that can connect all the dots. And I, I try to, you know, be upfront with like shortcomings of studies. Um, and if people want to criticize that and say, it doesn't say what you think it says, that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you and me we're like, we're trained scientists. Like we're, we're doing our due diligence. Like you, you differently than me. I'm from biochem. You're from exercise phys, but like, you know, we have the same mentality, uh, with all this stuff. And, um, and we, and I, th I think we have high, high standards too, but it's difficult to like maintain the high standards sometimes, or sometimes like for our, you know, for our first study from 2001, you know, it, it was like, there was a lot of stuff that like, you know, people went, Oh, why would you want to do this? Like we already know X, Y, Z. 
So yeah, mm. it's high, highly contextual, but like, yeah, I agree that, um, you know, sometimes some things don't necessarily translate, uh, from their cellular, you know, activation into performance. Um, so that, that would be something else to, to do. And I didn't see a ton of great studies on AMPK activation and improved endurance performance that I thought were, you know, good enough to really include here. So, so we didn't. I guess we'll both just have to go back and do PhDs, Coley. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm good. <laughs> I, I, I feel exactly I, the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you and I are busy enough at this point. Like, and yeah. I think I personally, I would rather be working with people and like, and getting the very general coaching knowledge than like, you know, drilling down and like spending five years on this one specific aspect of performance. I, I'd rather have like a holistic level view of all of it. Yeah. You, you just, you want, you just want to be able to like get a PhD student, like tell them what to do and just get them <laughs> to go and do it. But that would be nice. <laughs> if only I have helped easy. people design studies before yeah. for this kind of stuff. And um, it's a lot because I do get, um, I do get a lot of uh, like master's students, PhD students reaching out, like asking me to help design this stuff. And uh, I'm always happy to help. And I appreciate when they ask me, um, cause, uh, you know, cause, cause I think that, that like they, cause I think people like you and me, like we, we can bridge the divide enough on this stuff. And we've got enough of mm. a perspective on both sides of the equation that like, I think, I think people like you and me, you know, obviously not everybody needs it, but like when people ask, I think, I think we can help sometimes, but we also know how difficult it is I'd to like design to studies. <laughs> <laughs> I do try. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, Meredith, thanks for coming in to pinch hit for Kyle um, today. So um, I, uh, yeah, I, I knew this was going to go a little long. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Thank it's been you, a lot Curly. of fun. I Because you and I, we always, whenever we talk, we go long. So um, <laughs> so I knew this was going to be a longer than usual episode. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. And if you want to reach out to me or Marinus, uh, just shoot me an email, empiricalcycling at gmail.com. If you like the episode, if you want to share it, that would be great to support the podcast. Uh, and if you want to share the podcast on forums or with friends or whatever, uh, or if you want to try to give us some cliff notes on that, that's also fine too. Um, and if you want to donate to the show, remember we are totally free content. You can donate at empiricalcycling.com slash donate. And if you want to become a client, we are always taking on clients, students, and professionals. We are, of course, negotiable for our rates. We know that you don't make a ton of money. So, uh, And if you want to consult with us too, we are always looking to consult with people. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. And uh, so shoot me an email, empiricalcycling at gmail.com, uh, even especially right now, because it's like it's late August, actually early September. And so like this is like this is like transfer season for coaching. Um, and so it's it's yeah. uh, it's pretty busy. So um, if you want to at least start a conversation, if you're thinking about it in a month or two, uh, please just let me know. And um, or if you want to reach out to Marinus, too, um, I can uh, I'll leave links up in the show notes to, to Marinus, too, as well. So if you like. If you like uh, what Marinus was talking about today and if you like his previous episode, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to him. But we're on the Empirical Cycling Podcast, so Empirical Cycling is the way to go for coaching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, so Instagram, Empirical yeah. Cycling, if you want to ask questions um, on, for the podcast episodes, thank you for all of our listeners to asking those great questions and uh, give me a follow-up for the weekend AMAs. So uh, with that, we'll see you all next time.